two, three, four. In this podcast, you will only hear Knights of Vader. Knights of Vader includes, but is not. Talk of Star Wars. We can't truly. Jump that. Movies with Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, normal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel, most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. It is January 2nd, 2020. Brand new year, folks. I'm Zach Weber, and joining me is. Up to 300% gambling bonus, unlimited multiplication of money, slots, sports, poker. Visit now. This is Rob. (laughs) (laughs) I am not going to state the website because they are a phishing scam and no one should ever know who they are. (laughs) No, please don't do that. We do not endorse that on the Knights of Vader podcast. I am glad to be back uh, for the new year for the first time in a while. Um, I'm sure we'll get into why I'm here, even though I believe one of the last times I was on, I said I wanted nothing to do with episode nine. Um, But once again, your Bard of Vader is here to yell at Zach um, in a little more of the way I'm used to with the Cinemodities intro, as you heard. Yes, we are. Rob's on his home field turf. I'm kind of in a weird like halfway between two stadiums. (laughs) So uh, it'll be a fun discussion. But no, the reason why we are doing it this way, folks, that yes, Rob and I... um, we do cinematis, as you've heard us say numerous times on this podcast now. But the more and more I got thinking to The Rise of Skywalker, it made me think, is The Rise of Skywalker a cinematity? And I it's guess a, I'll, It's an immediate question after you see this movie, I would say. Yeah, I think it is, because I think Rob will probably tell our audience what cinematity stands for if you haven't figured it out for yourself already. But for the month of December, I think you know by the intros of a lot of our December episodes that we did December Plus, where we talked about a, du- a bunch of Disney movies that aren't available on Disney Plus. And the last one we did in that month was Tomorrowland. And as I watched The Rise of Skywalker, I've seen it four times now. My latest viewing was just yesterday. I can't help but feel that this film is another Brad Bird Tomorrowland scenario. Mm, interesting. So, Rob, do you want to tell our audience what Cinemodities is? Is both the podcast and it's just a title or a label to give to movies. Absolutely. Well, uh, if if you know Rob, you know he loves portmanteaus, combining words together. And that's exactly what Cinemodities is. It's a combination of cinematic and oddities. So cinematic oddities is what we aim to discuss on that podcast. And more so... Uh, we choose to decide if something really is a cinemodity or not. There's no real definition. There's things that are cinemodities for different reasons. I think if you uh, 
uh, no, it hasn't come out yet, but Zach threw me a curveball in one of the last episodes we recorded with what an uh, an incomprehensible paradoxical cinemodity, something yes. along those lines. So that's kind of how we want to look at the rise of Skywalker, because as I'm sure the diehard Star Wars and all of our Knights of Vader listeners know, there's no shortage of discussion about the rise of Skywalker. What there is shortage of is two people, Rob and Zach, talking about whether or not this is a cinematic oddity as they see it. So that's what we wanted to throw you guys this week, trying to, you know, shake things up a little bit. And plus, as Zach always says, who doesn't love getting the filthy casual opinion on Star Wars? Is that my title? (laughs) You are the residential filthy casual. Yes, absolutely. On top of being Bard of Vader. Yes, I got many, many titles across these podcasts. (laughs) And Amelia Clark's number one biggest fan. (laughs) <laughs> yes of course can't forget that one even though no. i do <laughs> <laughs> um no so with all that being said uh rob i i know we've asked you this a couple of times but because the rise of skywalker episodes do pretty well for knights of vader what is your favorite star wars film if you had to pick one? Oh, return of the jedi hands down i love that movie i know i've discussed it on this podcast before but for some reason ever since i was a kid and re-watching it as i get older whenever i do re-watch star wars movies I just love it. I, I think I even said once on this on Knights of Vader, every time I watch uh, Return of the Jedi, at the end of it, you know, when Palpatine is shocking Luke and Luke's, you know, all in pain and, and Vader's, like, it keeps cutting to shots of Vader's emotionless face. I'm always, like, on the edge of my seat. Like, is he going to do it? Is Vader going to save him? Like, that movie hits me just perfectly. I love it. And we get to see Squidhead in the background at the beginning at Jabba's Palace. <laughs> That's all that matters, really, at the end of the day. Yes, uh, Squidhead, my favorite Star Wars character, which unfortunately gets cut in half at the start of The Mandalorian. I should have stopped after episode one. (laughs) (laughs) We all wish we could have stopped after the first episode of The Mandalorian, (laughs) Rob. I I guess this leads into what I wanted to say, even though I am a filthy casual. I did my homework for this episode. Not only have I seen The Rise of Skywalker, I've also watched all The Mandalorian. Uh, I, I, I suffered. I wouldn't say suffered. That's a little too strong. I got through it. And I think that's uh, what we're going to pick my brain a little bit. Um, but before we jump into anything else, now that we have this great blend of Knights of Vader and Cinemodities coming together, I think there's a shout-out we have to give, right, Zach? Very bold, asked-for shout-out, you know, the best way to get a <laughs> shout-out on a podcast. Um, if you listen to Cinemodities, you know that during our December Plus series, uh, you had me at the beginning of every episode screaming at you, telling you to stream Pixel Perfect constantly on disney plus and i believe some of those intros got thrown into knights of vader as well because zach and i are both proponents of making sure disney knows how much the world needs and loves pixel perfect and we had one of our uh kov facebook members maximo 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 uh you apparently have been streaming this your family doesn't know why but you know why and that's what counts so hopefully we're all doing our part and bumping up those ratings and we're going to get an HD Blu-ray release sometime soon of Pixel Perfect, right? That's what we're hoping for? <laughs> 4K Ultra Cut. Four, okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> release the see that, Cut. Yeah, I want to see that restaurant scene with that, that terrible CGI in full 4K. That would, make, that would make my life, I would say. I could die happy. Good old Pixel Perfect. It'd be fun to watch that HD. I've never seen that before in that sort of quality. Forget 4K. Just watching it on Disney Plus would be interesting. Yeah, the time I watched it... Um, 
the only time I watched it was with the, the version with the commercial. The, the grainy 2004 yeah. VHS cut. Yeah, the only the, way uh, to watch it. The properly. picture warbles every now and then. <laughs> it's beautiful, folks. It's beautiful. Um, but yes, Maximo, thank you. Both Rob and I tip our hats to you. You have done a, a fantastic service, not just the Knights of Vader and Pixel Perfect, but Cinemodies as well. So respect. Bravo, sir. Um, so, okay. So, Rise of Skywalker time. I guess, uh, spoilers. By this time, the movie's been out for, God, three to four weeks. So, if you haven't seen the film, don't listen to any more of this, because Rob and I will be delving into spoilers all willy-nilly. Um, but before we get into that, Rob, what did you think of The Rise of Skywalker? Uh, I, uh, okay. Zach had to know this was coming. I've, I've reached inner peace, finally. I think... I have just accepted the fact that I will always hate Star Wars and their depiction <laughs> of droids. I This movie is uh, the worst thing they could ever have possibly done. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to even get into it a lot in this episode because this point, it's like, what the, what's the point of talking about it? Maybe at the end I'll do a little rants because uh, droids are people's property. You don't have to – they're not dogs. They can't be mistreated, and then you have to treat them right to get if, – if the droid – doesn't want to talk to you, you pick it up, smash it against the wall, reprogram it to do what you want it to do because it's a computer. See, I'm getting off the rails already. So on one side, I have reached inner peace, kind of, that Star Wars <laughs> will always be completely frustrating to me because why make a robot a character with feelings and free will when you can just make it a non-robot character so it wouldn't, so it would make sense? But I'll, I'll leave that aside for now. Other than that, I would say I'm pretty neutral on The Rise of Skywalker. And not neutral completely. I would say I dislike the plot and the pacing and the editing, which I know we're going to get into. But I really loved seeing the spectacle on the big screen. That's what got me. I loved kind of the opening in this movie, um, the look of this movie, just being immersed into this universe of Star Wars once again. I think that's what I loved when I was a kid, you know, I'm I'm right there with Zach. I grew up on the original trilogy on, you know, VHS tapes and then seeing the prequels in theaters. And I loved it. And that's kind of why I got hooked into Star Wars. And it's always kind of hitting those strings when I go back to a theater and I get to hear the great music, the great score, the great kind of atmosphere and everything that I like. But unfortunately, the story kind of cancels out the spectacle of it for me. And I'm just kind of right down the middle. I have an analogy I wanted to give for how I felt uh, of this movie. About 20 minutes into it, I started to think of this movie as uh, if you're riding in a car or some type of vehicle with square wheels, but it's going fast. If, if you have a car with square wheels and it's going fast enough and it gets momentum, it's going to move. It's going to move pretty fast. The, the square wheels aren't going to slow it down, but it's going to make it really bumpy and turbulent. And that's how I felt watching this movie. Like we were zipping through a lot of stuff. But I was getting whiplash and bruises and jarring left and right motions all the time. So that, that's kind of how I would sum this movie up. It's a, it's a car with square wheels. <laughs> I do want to point out that uh, in my initial binge of The Rise of Skywalker, seeing it three times in, this, in less than 24 hours, I was kind of like anything you like in life. Because I liked it walking out of it. I did. I loved it. So when I'm seeing it the fourth time, I'm like, okay... I, I've read a bunch of the criticism at this point. I, I know the complaints. I know the war the the fandom is in now. The Star Wars fandom is always going to be 
a war. It's never going to stop. Yes. Um, we're, we're, they're we're uh, very hard to please, right? As the news reports. <laughs> oh, I love that headline so much. Yeah, that was I hilarious. Lo- I love that. that. <laughs> Study colon Star Wars fans nearly impossible to please. <laughs> um, there's never been a truer headline ever written. Um, so no, so I walked into the movie. Um, I was kind of a little apprehensive, nowhere near as much like other movies like Rogue One or The Last Jedi. Um, I, I I knew this film is it's not the type of film that's heady like The Last Jedi, so I wasn't too concerned about it. Um, I walked out of it enjoying it just as much as I did the first time. Yes, a little bit of the novelty is worn off. That like that exhilaration of like not even exhilaration, more the relief of oh god, they didn't screw this up like they did The Force Awakens. Um, that was good. Um, I still stand by my comment I made last week. Um, I think compared to this, the Mandalorian is trash. I still don't get why people think this is the second coming of star Wars, Jesus Christ. Um, I guess that's another question is to get a little bit more of a read on you, Rob. Um, what would you prefer the rise of Skywalker or more of something like the Mandalorian? I, uh, I actually, I wouldn't say I loved the Mandalorian. I wouldn't even say I liked the Mandalorian. I found it watching it enjoyable. It kept me going. So I, I guess to put in perspective, I, I have to, I, oh, I almost forgot. I have to tell the story of how, how it took me two tries to see uh, The Rise of Skywalker. But before that, um, uh, I spent New Year's Eve, so December 31st, uh, with just one person the whole day. And we were just thinking of like what to do, you know, that type of thing. And I mentioned, probably mistakenly, that I had access to The Mandalorian. And they were like, oh, we should watch The Mandalorian. I was like, I really don't want to watch anything Star Wars related. And they came back with the, you made me watch all of Lost, so I get to choose something next. So we watched all of The Mandalorian in one day. And I have to say, I I kind of enjoyed that as a a big, what is it, like five hours, a little over or something like that. Um, Kind of extended movie. Um, Honestly, I preferred that to the rise of skywalker just kind of the the story and following the the characters of the mandalorian more than these this car with square wheels as i called it of the rise of skywalker but i would be remiss if i did not mention zach i am a hundred percent on board with you the pilot episode of the mandalorian is one of the worst things i've ever seen i don't think i'll we take disliked it, folks. it i'll take I don't, it i don't think we dislike it for the same reasons I just liked it from a writing standpoint. I could not get over the fact, like the opening scene's fine. You know, Mandalorian has to, he kills Squidhead. That was a bummer. But he gets his like <laughs> bounty. And then it just goes into, okay, minor bounty character literally explains the basics of the Mandalorian. Oh, so you don't take your helmet off? Oh, are you gonna put me in carbonite? Oh, are you gonna do this? It's like, shut up. Show me, don't tell me. And then the Mandalorian learns how to ride the weird tadpole with leg creature because he gets words of encouragement from Nick Nolte. Terrible, terrible, terrible writing. I wanted to stop after one episode, but I'm glad I continued because four, five, and six were great. I loved those little adventures. So I guess that's a long-winded way to say I really like the, I guess, the serialism of the Mandalorian more than I liked the breakneck uh, jarring speed of The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I can get on board with that. Um, a lot. Uh, okay, fine. Because um, the Mandalorian, we're going to be talking about that forever. That's that's not going away anytime soon. Um, but no, the thing with the rise of Skywalker, and the reason why this is going to be more of a cinematis discussion, is that, like I said earlier with Tomorrowland, and there's a bunch of as of last night this morning, there's a bunch of rumors on Reddit about how Disney 
took away again massive grain of salt nobody knows who how true this is a lot of the film bloggers are attacking this because i'll get into the reasons why they're attacking this Mm -hmm. um but the rumors are essentially what kind of happened with every other disney star wars film barring the last jedi which is a weird sort of just anomaly in all this (laughs) in that disney essentially took creative control away from jj and whereas Lord and Miller with Solo told Disney to go F themselves when they did that. JJ just kind of bent over and said, okay. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's what JJ does. That's, and I know for months now, I've said this repeatedly, JJ is a shill. And that's why you hire a shill is because a shill will not argue with you if you take the film away from them. She'll I think that go, was a, a major thesis of our Justice League discussion, right, with Chris Terrio, because he does what yeah. is desired from him. Yeah, that's and that's another thing too, because there's okay, there's a lot to talk about with this movie. Um, again, we're not going to do like a plot breakdown or anything, because we everybody listening to this, I would imagine, has seen the film. Yeah, and I don't. There's want to either. no, no, there's, there's nothing to talk about other than things that maybe. Uh, pointing out examples of things because when I first watched this film, I said it in the initial review episode. I'm like, Oh, this film was edited with a wood chipper. It, it feels that way. Yes. And by my fourth viewing, the film's a little more cohesive because I know what it's getting at. It's not as that initial, just throwing me into the deep end and being like, Oh, what's going on? Why is all this happening? Why is there a sandworm? Is this Dune? Um, mm-hmm. Why is C-3PO saying lines from Titanic? Why is Ray saying lines from Titanic? Why um, is this Titanic? <laughs> yeah, why is this Titanic? Um, why is it a tragic romance at the end? You know, it makes no sense as to why it's a tragic romance. Um, a lot of, in plus two, you have the fan component of this, where you have the YouTube component that sees this film as a weird apology for The Last Jedi, yet is still intent on destroying Star Wars because it's profitable to do so. You have the critics that are attacking this film because they don't like that Disney edited out the lesbian kiss at the end in like Thailand, and that Rose Tico got less than a minute of screen time. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Raylo component of the fandom that's mad because they didn't get the ending they wanted. So you have all these different factions of the fandom that are just at war with this film. And whereas before, the loudest faction with The Last Jedi was just out for blood because we're stupid and we don't know how movies work. We now have multiple subsets of the fandom that have genuine complaints with the film. Um, the YouTube faction still is insane. They're just they're making money off hatred for Star Wars. There's there's no rationale there. It's just money. Yeah. Um, if, if YouTube demonetized all those videos, we wouldn't be getting those that those sort of that yeah, sort of content it's, anymore. It's just what gets clicks exactly. Exactly. It's clickbait in, in its worst possible form. Um, the critics, their angle is virtue signaling. Um, they're just highlighting things to make themselves look good. Um, that's that you never get to change the media. The media is just going to always do what it thinks is best for the world. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's very, it's, it's a weird evolution of what they did for the star Wars prequels where it's that, Oh, this is bad because it's not what we think star Wars should be. It's, it's the next step in what the YouTube star Wars is doing on a a philosophical level. Yeah. But the, the, the fandom component that I'm the most intrigued by is the Raylo component of the fandom because they're the ones who are genuinely dissecting this film as a work of art. Um, they don't like how it ended. They're very mad. They're, I'd say they're the loudest now out of everybody complaining about this film, but they have legitimacy because they are treating it as art and they're, they're dissecting it as art. They're not dissecting it as a piece of pop culture and they want to change what it has to say about the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, that's just, again, the media doing what it does best. Uh, but, 
that Raylo component is what really fascinates me because they are, again, they're mad that Ben Solo died. They feel that he should have lived. And even though Rob doesn't know this, they've been doing a lot of deep dives on just Twitter at the very least. I would imagine also on Tumblr, but I don't, I I don't venture into that world. Um, That's, that's, that's the unknown regions for me, folks. I do not stumble (laughs) into Tumblr. I'm afraid of that place. You know, they've cleaned it up in the last few, in the last year or so. Um, but the point being is that they're the Raylo components doing a lot of stuff like they're comparing shots, they're re-editing scenes, they're taking musical cues that don't make sense, and they're 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 painting at least a narrative. I don't know how true it is, but it's it's a compelling narrative because anybody that's listened to Cinemodies knows how much I love disjointed blockbusters. I know yeah. Rob and I's two-hour-long Tomorrowland episode is rob yelling about how this makes no sense and it's bad and i'm like yes i know it's bad but i like it because it makes no sense i love that it's incomprehensible (laughs) that was our split yes (laughs) and that's why looking at this and based on the uh the reddit rumors um this film the rise of skywalker from both the film itself up into the rumors that are swirling around it feels like another instance of Disney, which we know they do. It's their MO. They take films away from filmmakers when they don't comply and they just do what they think is best. Uh, sometimes that works out well. You get things like Rogue One. No one's going to argue. I think it's weirdly enough, Rogue One was apparently a mess and they salvaged it. And at this point, it's the most popular Disney Star Wars film. You get instances like The Rise of Skywalker, which I think Rob put quite well in the sense of that it's a car with with square wheels yep (laughs) um i think over time it's funny enough that i was listening to john justice host of my world author of the embark series check out i don't think it's available yet but check out embark number three the vanishing war coming soon to an amazon.com nearest you um he was talking about how the more times he watches this film a lot of the uh the pacing the, the jarring edits are not as noticeable and i certainly agree with that analysis and that the more times you watch something the the weird sort of issues just fade away if you like if you like the film as a whole which i do i still love this film um i find it uh very enjoyable as a star wars film i don't know its place in 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 this trilogy never mind the nine film saga in just the 11 technically 12 star wars films that exist right now um but there's just so much here. So I just want to delve in with Rob. So when you, I, cause when I, before Rob saw this, he kind of asked me, he's like, what should I, like, what's my goal going into this? Like, I know you want me to talk about it, but is there anything specific? And my big thing was, do you see symptoms of Tomorrowland here? Mm-hmm. And so I ask you now, Rob, do you see anything that feels Tomorrowland esque in the sense of this film was butchered in editing? I, I, I have to say, yes, that is definitely something I picked up on in my viewing. And I'm, I'm glad you sent me that um, the link to the, the Reddit rumors and all that stuff. Uh, by the way, I love the subreddit title, Saltier Than Crate. That's great. <laughs> but I'm glad you sent that to me today because when I watched this movie and I got the sense that it was like hacked up in editing, it was it was trying to salvage something from what they had. My immediate thought was, and and I'm in, I'm actually surprised that I haven't been hearing this more. I don't think it's been said at all on Knights of Vader yet. I took this to be they were scrambling, trying to figure out what to do after Carrie Fisher died. It seemed to me that this movie, 
was was almost, you know, destroyed by the fact that they could not utilize her in the way that I was kind of assuming she, she would be utilized. I know that in the Reddit kind of thread, they don't talk about that to some extent. They do talk about more of the Disney wrangling control from J.J. Abrams away from it. But now I'm kind of torn because I, I to answer your question, yes, I feel that this was meddled with in some way. And my initial thought was, oh, it was meddled because... I, I would imagine J.J. Abrams had such a clear idea with what to do with Princess Leia or General Leia that they couldn't do. Uh, but it, it's kind of like almost, you know, we got to the same endpoint for two different reasons. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I do think that like, this is one of those films that um, it's probably out of all of J.J. Abrams' works that's specifically his, not something he just kind of dipped his toe into. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about this film for a while because there's just a lot of stuff here. Uh, I agree with you. The Leia stuff, the more and more I look at the movie, I find it horribly jarring. Like, I, I've seen this movie four times now. And it takes me out every single time she's on screen. I, I, I wanted to ask you, her eyelines don't work. She's not looking oh, at who she's talking to. Oh, I'm glad. Did you listen to the to our three-hour-long discussion? I did not. That's okay. the, uh, uh, I, listened to all, uh, I listened to all the Mandalorian ones. I, I wanted to stay uh, clean for the Rise of Skywalker. Okay, okay, perfect. Because in that three-hour discussion, I mentioned that the reason why Tarkin in Rogue One works and Leia in the Rise of Skywalker doesn't is because her eyeline is yeah. completely off base. I, there's one shot at the beginning where it looks like Leia is checking out Rey, like looking at her, at her breasts, and it's very strange. Because I'm assuming she's not talking to Ray in whatever scene they took that from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the problem with the Leia stuff is that she's not, and that's the weird thing is that you can't change the eyes because the eyes are the soul. Yes. And if you changed her eyes, you would throw the whole thing off. Yet that's the weird. I, I wasn't even anticipating this, uh, anticipating discussing this in this episode. Was that like the Leia thing? Like, yes, it does feel like. And I know J.J. Abrams has made a very big point of saying this that like, oh, we had to shape the movie around her. Yeah, but at what cost? Mm -hmm. exactly. Yes, Carrie Fisher is a huge part of Star Wars, but should we really sacrifice the ninth film to include her in this capacity? Uh, I, I, it seemed like they tried to, and then maybe, maybe since JJ decided to do that, once again, pure speculation on my part, maybe since JJ tried to salvage what they did have of Carrie Fisher. And Disney didn't like it. Maybe that's a possible reason they tried to or did wrestle it away from him because they didn't I, want that, but had to include it to some extent because you can't just ignore it. Well, that's the weird thing, though, with all this is that it's hard to figure out. And I think I've said this before when we talked about like when Lord and Miller were fired off solo, Colin Madman Trevorrow being fired off episode nine, Gareth Edwards. It's mm -hmm. the whole idea that like when you're making a $200 million plus film, you don't go into these things or you shouldn't go into these things without a concrete vision. Yeah. So like if JJ, even though I don't like him as a filmmaker, he's not incompetent on a, a like a nuts and bolts sort of way. Like he knows how to lay all his cards out. He knows how to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I have a hard time believing that they would like this is going off the rumors on Reddit. Maybe we'll read some of them specifically. I don't know. It goes on for a while. It's like 30 paragraphs. Yeah, I like that one of the tags of the post or the only tag is long. Yeah. <laughs> and my thing is that like I just don't get how Lucasfilm and Disney would go into production on this film being like, oh, we're going to make a movie 
and then halfway through make another movie. And, and the weird thing though is that like even though that doesn't make sense on a a, a business level, JJ admits to doing that on The Force Awakens in that mm-hmm. commentary. I think you and I talked about it how many months ago. That JJ admits to being like, oh, every scene with Daisy Ridley and John Boyega, we reshot. Yep. And you realize how much of their scenes together make up that film. It's like, oh, so they reshot 20% of the movie. And it's like, yeah. that's that's not how you make movies. You don't like I understand like some things don't work and you gotta do pickups, and there's things here and there. I get that. I'm not I know a lot there's so many idiots on the internet that just don't understand how movies are made, and it drives me up a wall. Because I do want to get into maybe the box office with this, depending on how long we get into, because there's so much erroneous information on how the box office works. Um it, there's so much blind the blind leading the blind online that it drives me up a wall. That's it's, the motto of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but this is different though, because a lot of people that are, it, it's like anything in life that like it's not 100% wrong, but it's just enough of it's wrong that it throws everything out of whack. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that in due time. It's the idea that when JJ goes into these things, that's his MO. He likes to reshoot things. And when you do that, like any, I think we talked about it. It's the episode's not going to be out yet, but we talked about it on Cinematis, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. There was a behind the scenes documentary, and one of the producers is like, when you're making a film, when you change one thing, you throw the entire board out of whack. You can't just pull one piece out and put another in and expect the whole thing to just click. Yep. It doesn't work that way. Yet J.J. Abrams thinks that's how you that's how you make things work is by constantly changing things fundamentally late into the process mm-hmm. and i know there's probably at least one person in the audience being like well why are you giving the rumors and stuff so much credit well it's a bunch of reasons why we already stated a couple that disney has done this a lot with star wars pretty much every film except for the last jedi and maybe the force awakens depending on what you read they've meddled with they meddled with rogue one they meddled with solo and they've I, it's I think anybody who understands movies can understand how they meddled with the rise of Skywalker. I think it's there. Whether you like the movie or not, that's something entirely separate. I love the yeah. movie, and, 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 I, and they meddled with it. It feels that 100%. way. 100%. They're, they're a company. I think this might even come up on the Justice League discussion. The company's only interest is pleasing the shareholders. Period. Full stop. And that's what they, that's what they need to do. That's what they feel they're doing and feel they need to do. And that's it. And then yeah. people need to remember that more often. They're not making things for the fans. Sure, that might happen as a result of, you know, things going really well. But that that is not the mentality of these big, you know, almost monopolies like Disney is. Yeah. And plus, you do have people at the company that don't understand how a story works. And they're going to, even in the Reddit leak, somebody says, like, you have people making story decisions that have no right to be making story decisions. Yeah, yeah, I found that that one very interesting. Yep. And that's, <clears throat> that's the weird part of all this, because, like, any sort of story, people want a villain. They want a bad guy. And it's like, who's to blame here? Is it JJ? Is it Kathleen Kennedy? Is it Alan Horn, the head of the studio? Is it Bob Iger? Bob Iger has made made abundantly clear that he has his fingers deep into Star Wars that he doesn't do with Marvel, the live action films, the animated okay. films. He's made again. He he makes it pretty clear, and it's weird considering how Bob Iger is very much full of himself, which any CEO of a Fortune 500 company will be. That he's publicly take taken the blame for the the failure of solo. And even though he doesn't say that explicitly, the comment he always makes when he's asked about Star Wars is. 
it was too much too soon, which is probably the biggest admittance of fault you will get out of him. Yeah. About anything. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And that's yeah. my <laughs> that's basically saying it's like, well, we're we're unhappy with the outcome, but it it's you know, we're unhappy and it's like, okay, you know, you could follow it up with with admitting something, but that's the closest you'll ever get. Sure. Yeah, and that's the thing with him. Is that like I don't know, like he's made it clear. And I think another character in this story that's never referenced is Alan Horn. Everybody likes to believe, and this is a stupid internet again, that Kathleen Kennedy and Kevin Feige, who everybody on the internet has a raging heart on for, they make every decision unilaterally. They don't let, they have nobody to answer to. They mm-hmm. go around, they just, they, they swing it around. They don't care who they hit with it. That's not true. Like anything in life, the more successful you are, the longer of a leash you get. The more successes you bring home, you get less phone calls from your higher ups because they leave you alone. The problem, though, is that Alan Horn is the person that Kevin Feige, Kathleen Kennedy, whoever's in charge of the live action division at Disney and Pixar animation, they all report to Alan Horn and Alan Horn reports to Bob Iger. Alan Horn was the head of Warner Brothers during the Harry Potter era. That's kind of his biggest like claim okay. to fame. Plus, his wife is the woman in the Ghostbusters music video, which I found out, oddly enough, in some oh. piece of trivia. Uh, <laughs> if you watch the Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters video, and there's the woman being like frightened by him. That's Alan Horn's wife. Go figure. Just some fun trivia I had to throw in there, because I've, I've, I've known this for a while now. I never had really an instance to say it until now. Um, but Alan Horn's a character in this that never gets brought up, because he's somebody... Who's a go-between between Kathleen Kennedy and Bob Iger. And yet he's never pointed out as somebody that could be interfering with this. And you look at all these characters. And every single one of them, I'd say for the most part, doesn't understand how Star Wars works. Bob Iger doesn't understand how it works. Alan Horn doesn't understand how it works. Kathleen Kennedy, I think to this day, still doesn't understand how to talk to the fans. Mm-hmm. And J.J. Abrams is a shill. He's good to talk to the fans in any way that he's told to talk to the fans. In other words, he's going to talk to them the way Bob Iger, Alan Horn, Kathleen Kennedy tells him to. Exactly. So it's like, who's, who's to blame here? And that's who I'm kind of trying to figure out because going into some of these Reddit leaks, like there's so many rumors about the fact that at the end of the film that apparently they shot cameos of uh, when you hear Obi-Wan, uh, Qui-Gon Jinn, Ahsoka, all these characters. You saw them in, in live action. I think, I think they say except for the cartoon characters. I think except for Ahsoka and Kanan, everybody else was a live action character. Yeah, yeah, I believe it said anyone who has appeared live action on screen, they got back in costume. To shoot mm-hmm. that scene. That's crazy to me. It would make sense if that happened in the movie. But of course that's not how it plays out. But it's just insane to me that something like that. Wouldn't have been included. But the the leaks or whatever we're calling this Reddit post. They do go on to talk about China. And their ghost issue in China. Which, yes. which I, 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 I give them that to some extent. I mean that's a fact. And so yeah, that could be. You know, It might not be the real reason. But it's certainly a reason that Disney would give for cutting that. If they had ulterior motives. Sure, that's that's the problem too with Disney. It's like anything in life. You can't point to one thing and blame it. There's always exactly as, as much as we want a villain, there's because there's no shortage of them in the world. There's everybody sits there has is complicit in this somehow for why this this doesn't exactly click as coherently as it should. Mm-hmm. And the big thing though is that Disney is trying to appeal 
to the the, the fan and it, and I, I only highlight him because he's the easiest example on this podcast. Is that they're trying to constantly make these movies appeal to Jim's age group. It's that forty five year old and older fan base, the ones that grew up on the original trilogy, that don't I don't want to say a hundred percent denounce the prequels, but that's clearly clearly the priority. Yeah, is making yep. those fans happy and forsaking everybody else in the process. Sure. And I don't, and that's the because I know I think I, we, I talked about it a couple of times. I think even back like two years ago when JJ was first hired, is that JJ is part of the the prequels ruined my childhood. Again, I can still hear it in my head now. The Vanity Fair article where he's like, "I can't wait to put the bones on Jakku of Jar Jar, <laughs> even right. if it's only me that knows. As long as I'm the one who killed him." And I'm like, in the fans, JJ's great. JJ's great. I'm like, no, folks, that that's a horrible thing to say about any of the characters on a on a Star Wars fan level. Like he can say whatever he wants. Like, I'm not offended. I'm not saying that cancel J.J. Abrams. I'm not. I'm not insinuating that. But to applaud the fact that the director of Episode Seven wants to be known for killing off a character, like we attack Ryan Johnson for so much less. And yes, I just. It's, I, uh... I, I would, I, as I have said before, it's better to create uh, out of the desire to create, not out of spite for some other created project. That's usually not going to make something good. Insert the Doctor Sleep episode of Cinematis here as to why uh, creating <laughs> something go. out of hatred is not ideal. I was trying if, to remember where that came from in Cinematis, and I just blocked out the monstrosity. I, I was back in Ullman's office in a completely different state don't, again. Don't say that. Non-flashback, <laughs> non-flashback. Uh, but but again, going to that just specific moment, the fact that we were gonna have all these force ghosts there, and it make and again, okay, one thing I want to point out because I, I think I said it earlier, someone's probably screaming right now. Why are you putting so much faith into the Reddit rumors? Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm putting so much faith into them, and this is where I got a little bit sidetracked, is that we have the record. We, there's a couple of reasons why I put faith into the Reddit rumors. First is that Disney has a horrible track record of tampering with films. Yes. They they did it to Andrew Stanton with John Carter. They did it to Brad Bird with Tomorrowland. They did it to Star Wars. They did it to to a some extent they did it to the Lone Ranger with Gore Verbinski. The, the company has a history of meddling. That's just who they are. And all the studios meddle, but the, Disney is getting more and more pronounced. Um, the second example, you have the Art of the Rise of Skywalker book that got delayed. I mentioned this during our review episode that or I think it was like December 2nd or 3rd, I pre-ordered that from Walmart, that individual dictionary. The Visual Dictionary shipped to me that the week The Rise of Skywalker came out, but the Rise of, but the the Art of book didn't. And I'm like, what's happening? Like, why am I getting this? And so I looked, and it said arriving by December 24th. But I'm like, what? They're both released on the same day. Why am I not getting it? And so I did some research, and Lucasfilm delayed the book by like three months. It's coming out sometime now to the end of March. Every Star Wars film of the Disney era has had the art of book coincide with the movie's release. Sure. Makes yet, sense. A, yet out of nowhere, The Rise of Skywalkers didn't. Okay, mm-hmm. let, me, let me rephrase that. I think the Solo one came out a little bit later, maybe like a month or two later, maybe around the time of the Blu-ray release. Okay. But Solo, as we all know, had a horrible production. And guess what? They're waiting to the Blu-ray release to release the art of book. Oh, God. And you think... Why would if you have a book 
and it was a month away from product, month away from release, less than a month away. Because when I bought the book, it said release date December twentieth. Yeah, it didn't say. So they they made that decision late in the game. Why, if you're Disney and you have a book that clearly, I would imagine, is done. Like if it's not, if you already don't have thousands of copies printed, that's the only step that hasn't been completed yet. Mm-hmm. Why would you delay a book like that? Unless there are things in the book that aren't in the movie that the book says are in the movie. Uh, yep. They have to, uh, do their rounds of redaction. Absolutely. Yep. And you can't sell an art of book that has Sharpie marks all throughout it. <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy and JJ Abrams can't go through every single copy at your local Barnes and Noble. And you go, <laughs> scratching out all the parts they don't want you to know about the rise of skywalker art of book colon the government file version <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's that's my second piece of evidence for this is that the timing of that is just too suspicious why yeah, they would wait that sense. late to delay a book and then the third one is that i know on twitter all the film bloggers who again have their heads so, so far up their own asses are going, none of this is true. And people say, oh, how do you know this isn't true? Because I'm a film blogger. <laughs> and it's okay. like, oh, exactly. Okay. What does that mean? And they say, trust me. Okay, if we're just going to trust you on, on just those words, why can't we trust the Reddit person? Well, because I'm a film blogger. And it's like, I'm a film blogger, technically. I'm a Star Wars podcaster, and I don't know diddly squat. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm some random schmuck on a Thursday night talking about Star Wars. They're, they're no better than I am. They're no, and, and that's the point, is that they yep. don't know any more than the rest of us do. Yeah, exactly. and, that's, and the thing about this, and the reason, and, well, someone's probably asked, well, why are they attacking this then? Because if they know that random people on Reddit are beating them at their own game, they have to discredit it for their own job security. Yes, it's, of course. It's like, it's like anything in life. If somebody's beating you at your own game, you've got to disqualify it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're a film blogger and if you admit to Disney doing wrongdoing, guess what? You can't get invited to set visits anymore. You ain't getting flown out to Hawaii when they make Moana 2. So of course you're going to circle the wagons around the multi-billion dollar multinational corporation. They're, I don't want to say they're compromised, but they're looking out for their best interests and no one's going to blame them for that. 100%. But the pro- but the problem is that people will believe them because they're film bloggers, and that means something other than their opinion. Like, if you want to read what their opinion is on a movie, that's fine. But when it comes to factual content, their words know better than anybody else's on the internet. It, again, if, if it's on the internet, folks, it's up to you to decide whether it's real or not. It, it kind of reminds me of the Harry Potter thing that, what's his name? Uh, oh, God, I almost said Gandalf. Um, oh, God, what's his name? Oh, <laughs> God, what's his name? Dumbledore says, like, like, to Harry Potter, it's like, he's like, uh, Oh God! What are they? Call? He's like, Professor, is this real or is it just happening in my head? And he's like, Well, of course it's happening in your head, Harry. Doesn't mean that it's not real, and that's kind of what it is. Is that it's like anything? Could it be real? There's probably shreds of truth in this, and we're never going to know because Disney could very easily squash all this, and they're deliberately choosing not to because that's just their mo. Yep. So until they put out a corrected version. Which might happen, like I think I've said it before, 20, 30 years from now, we're going to get some fantastic, nothing short of spellbounding books on this era of Star Wars. Oh, like yeah. It's going it's gonna to be delightful to read all the behind-the-scenes stuff and how Disney really, really stepped in on numerous occasions. Despite the fact that I enjoy all the movies to varying capacities. 
But yeah, going back, I, you, you bring up a great point. Absolutely. You know, just like we were saying with um, uh, how Disney or all these companies, their main interest is are their shareholders, period, full stop. All these people that have followings on the Internet, these film bloggers or whatever, it's the same thing. They got to keep their fan base, keep their paycheck going. They're only looking out for themselves. Hell, that could be said about us on Cinemodities or Knights of Vader. We're just looking out for ourselves. We just, I guess, uh, advertise it a little better. You know, it's up to you to decide if you want to listen to us or not. But I guess the thing, though, is that this is why, like with Knights of Vader, and Cinemodities to a different extent, because Cinemodities isn't really tied into a fandom where this, where Knights of Vader is clearly tied into a very specific thing. Well, I think we have uh, the Frank Ocean community <laughs> right behind us. <laughs> yeah, I can't argue with that. <laughs> Oh, I certainly can't argue with that. But the point being, like with Knights of Vader, is that like in the little peek behind the curtain for people is that like for months now, like Zenger and Russ have been kind of, I don't want to say pushing because that's not fair, but they've been saying like, oh, why don't we do a Patreon to kind of like offset some of the cost of Knights of Vader? And I think I've mentioned it before is that like I don't like taking money from people mm-hmm. because once you start taking money from people, you start, like Rob said, shareholders. Yeah, that's what it becomes. And I don't want to ever be compromised in that sort of way. I never want to be hamstrung based on what the people who pay me think. And that's not saying I imagine there's probably a couple people in the Knights of Vader audience that would gladly give us some money and they would never expect us to kowtow to their opinions. Yeah. But once you introduce money into the equation, you inherently pervert everything. Exactly. It completely changes the atmosphere because no matter how much we talk about it now, for you on Knights of Vader or for us on Cinemodities, if either of those podcasts eventually got money, like say someone started paying, I don't know, a dollar a month even, if that person stopped paying that dollar a month, that would impact us. That would impact how we discuss things because it would inherently be a negative. And we don't want that. We want to do what we do regardless of those interferences. Exactly. That's always been my goal with Knights of Vader. It's been, whether it's an audience of a million or one, the whole point of this podcast, and I know this sounds horribly selfish and uh, arrogant, but it was for me to express my views about Star Wars. And I'm nothing short of a static, uh, euphoric, every sort of hyperbolic adjective I can imagine that I have Zenger, Russ, Rob, Force Ghost, Jim, even some of the earlier people like Mark. I, I love having those other opinions to bounce off of. I'm not saying it's just about me, but the podcast was founded in the notion of this is my outlet to say things that, that nobody else is saying. I've mentioned it before. Why I was on the rebel scum forums. I talked about the rogue one controversies before it came out and I would post multiple paragraph. Oh God. Uh, writeouts about like why, a film being reshot months before release isn't a good thing. And every time I would do that, I got the same response back. Your mom. And then when I said, well, what does that mean? And I get, go F yourself. And that's, and that's why I said, the hell with it. It was kind of like, I'm not going to scream into the void anymore. Exactly. If I'm going to scream into the void, I'm going to do it on my own platform. And I do have that. And yes, there's been some hiccups along the way. Knights of Vader has, has a couple of square wheels. Not all four square wheels, but there's a couple of them. And it's the notion of, on Knights of Vader, we're going to give you an opinion. And that's what it is. I, I try to be as factual. I never want to lie or deceive people. And if I am ever wrong, I'm the first one to admit it. I, I never want to be wrong or deceive people. Um, but I'm going to give you my interpretation. And that's what this Rise of Skywalker discussion is. It's my interpretation of all this. Exactly. Be- because I love this film. I genuinely do. Like I mean, I, Every single time I see it, I have so much fun. I, I love that ending so much. 
and by ending the, the Ray Skywalker thing's getting a little bit better. Um, it's it's still horrible, but it's getting better each time. Mm-hmm. But like Palpatine, like they they knocked Palpatine out of the park in this. They used him just the right amount. He's in the very beginning. He's at the very end, and when he does show up, he's Palpatine with a capital P. Oh and yeah, I th- and I think it's interesting that in all the rumors about this, he ain't one of them. That's a good point. I wasn't even thinking about that. You're right. That the villain of this film, who was clearly a... Even though there's a bunch of foreshadowing of him in the ancillary media, he ain't really alluded to in the first two films. Not at all, yeah. And that's the thing. That's something that should so clearly be the focal point of, oh, they had no idea what they're doing. Is the one aspect that nobody's talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think the Palpatine thing, and this is the part that makes me question the people who do the official rumors and leaks, in that I we, we uh, Rob and I talked about it when we did our Justice League episode. We talked about it when we did our Mortis trilogy episode. We talked about a lot of those rumors. And those rumors turned out to be more or less a hundred percent on point. Yeah. And I and all those people that got those rights, two specific groups it's making star wars and it was jedi paxis on reddit yet interestingly enough those two factions not factions those two entities that got all the rumors right prior to that first teaser at star wars celebration 2019 nobody predicted palpatine was coming back yeah yeah nobody and so it makes you question what happened between april 2019 and the summer when all those leaks happened what happened then? And then guess what? You read the Reddit's rumors thing, and they lay it out very clearly. During the summer, Disney took the film away from J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. Yep. And there yeah, you they, have They it. talk a lot about that nine-month period where he started to lose his vision. And they what they I think a few of the bullet points say that Disney was telling them that they couldn't film certain scenes for, for certain reasons. And, and they were approving them and then throwing them out later and stuff like that. Yeah, it seems like a... A total, you know, not quite too many cooks, you know, ruin the the pot, but just the hands, the meddling, all the tentacles were in there. And the reason why that Rob's here as well is that you know that Rob Zenger and I did the episode on the uh, the what was it, the fandom survey. Yes, and um, and this is the thing I want because Rob can tell you all about snowball snowball yeah, snowball theory and all or effect and all that, and. Guess what happens, folks? The reason why, like when Disney makes creative story decisions, they're not making Bob Iger, Kathleen Kennedy, Alan Horn are not making decisions based on, oh, like let's just say JJ says, okay, I want all the force ghosts here, like in person. Mm-hmm. And when and when the executives say no, they're not saying no because JJ likes chocolate and they prefer vanilla. They're not doing it based on that. They're doing it because they have market research that says, no, 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 people, you see that? There's there's the prequel, there's the prequel deniers. They don't want to see that. We can't have that in the movie. That'll lower the box office by $15 million, and we can't have that. And that's the problem. And that goes back to the Reddit leaks, which also kind of quasi-corroborates them in that people are making story decisions that shouldn't be making story decisions because mm-hmm. they're not making them based based on what's good for the story. They're making them based on what the data is telling them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's the problem is that you have people that don't understand the story. And we've seen it with Kathleen Kennedy when she makes the comments. I don't, I'm not 
trying to single her out. But when she makes comments like saying like, oh, Marvel has a, a huge, huge reservoir of pre-existing stories to, to pull from that we don't, you have the fans that go, um, excuse me, uh, Miss yep. Kennedy, we have those video games over there in those comics, in those books, in those TV shows that you threw out in the first six months of your, of your, of your tenure. These two Don't, losers on a podcast discuss six kids' books yeah. <laughs> that ripped off goosebumps. Like, come on! <laughs> exactly. We have Tosh and Zacharanda and Uncle Hool. They they might play a role in all this. Uh, that's that's kind of the thing. Is that, like she doesn't know. Like someone like Kevin Feige would not talk to the fans that way. Yeah. Even though I get her point. Her point being is that yes, yes, Star Wars has a ton of ancillary media. It's nowhere near as deep. As the Marvel stuff. Mm-hmm. But somebody who understands Star Wars fans would never say that. Or if they would, they would say phrase it much differently. A hundred percent. And yet you have somebody like that that's telling JJ, and we don't know it's her, it could be anybody else, saying, Oh, you can't have that in there. It's crazy. It, and it's that's kind of bewildering to think about, even, you know. It's like we all know that meddling studio meddling happens. It's you have to just be, you know, completely unaware of how movies are made. Uh, to to not know that it goes on to some extent, but it's it's always bewildering to me when you really think about it, and you can kind of these types of movies, you know, like with our Tomorrowland and this discussion. When you see it, it's it's just it's crazy to me. And the thing about that, I can't really blame Kathleen Kennedy, is that the inter- the the YouTube rallying cry of not my Star Wars is, oh, Kathleen Kennedy gave Ryan Johnson carte blanche with the Last Jedi, thus why it's so horrible. And you look at all these movies and you go, okay, Force Awakens was a compromised production. Mm-hmm. Rogue One was a compromised production. Solo was certainly a compromised <laughs> production. Yep. And The Rise of Skywalker can most likely be assumed was a compromised production. Yet out of nowhere, the middle film got completely ignored. Huh. It's as yeah. if that doesn't make any sense. And that's where I start to think that it's not Kathleen Kennedy who's behind these decisions. I think that it is Alan Horn or Bob Iger who's sitting there meddling. I'm not even saying Bob Iger and Alan Horn specifically. They all have cohorts. There's a board of directors out there that also have a say in this. That nobody wants to talk about that. Think about it. The Murdoch family is a huge stakeholder in Disney Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. They have say over things. Steve Jobs' widow is a huge shareholder. She has sway over things. Yes. Not saying because that Steve- those are the people. Correct me if I'm wrong, Zach. I don't know my timeline as well as I think you do, but those are the people, the CEOs, the heads of the studios, the the, the stakeholders that you know own parts of Disney. Those are the ones that spent four billion dollars for Star Wars. Yep. Kathleen Kennedy didn't. You know, J.J. Abrams didn't. The people who spent four billion dollars say this is ours. We are going to do with it as we see fit. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's the point I'm trying to make here is that it's almost like it's hard to deny like the rumors. I don't know how you can deny the rumors when you hear this, and that's why I am somebody who loves discussing them so much. It's not I, I don't take everything at face value. I think there's some things that don't make sense, but it's hard. It's like it'd be shocking if there was no rumors like this. Like well, the Last Jedi, there's not even a fraction of the rumors about that film. There's nothing like, in mm-hmm. all honesty, it's the film that's the most divisive, quote exactly. unquote. Yeah, it's the only film that has no controversy from the production. Yeah, now like that this- when you say it that way, it reminds me like uh, so much went into the, the the beforehand. Like there was so much talk 
on Knights of Vader and between you and Isaac and between the whole internet of, you know, what's going to happen with the rise of Skywalker. I don't think I knew that The Last Jedi even existed until you told me it was out. <laughs> it's one of those, yeah. And that's and the weird thing, though, not to make this also a, def, a def, uh, defense of Ryan Johnson, but Ryan Johnson was hired in, like, March of 2015. Okay. The Last Jedi didn't start shooting until like the very beginning of 2016. Oh wow! And and the rumor is that Ryan Johnson had the film pretty much finished by the end of 2016, early 2017. If people remember, there was rumors going around that Disney could have released that film in May, in May of 2017 if they wanted to, mm -hmm. and they deliberately held it back because they knew it was going to do better in December. Because Ryan Johnson, again, he's there's certain I know I've mentioned it before on the podcast that there's certain people in Hollywood that just click with that sort of establishment. James Gunn being the, the the example I always point to was that like James Gunn, someone that always got along with the executive. He executives, he always knew how to handle studio notes. And that's why Guardians of the Galaxy turned out as well as it did both the first and second one, and why they were so reluctant to lose him. He's somebody who understands the industry inside out and backwards. He gets along with people. And Ryan Johnson's one of those people. We can see that with Knives Out. Knives Out is a movie that has so many actors that would want the spotlight, yet the spotlight of that film is Ana de Armas, who's mm -hmm. essentially a nobody compared to all the actors in that film. Yeah, 100%. And that's the brilliance of Ryan Johnson. He knows how to wrangle ego. Uh, he knows how to wrangle egos. He knows how to keep everybody in check. And that's why I think he, The Last Jedi worked as well as it did on a behind-the-scenes level. And that's why I don't think Disney will ever get rid of him. They'll keep him to some capacity, whether it be Star sure. Wars or something else. They're going to they're gonna let him do something because he did. The, he, he just, on a personality level, he works with everybody well. Is Anybody who's ever worked or collaborated with people, that's very rare to have somebody that gets along with everyone. Yeah, 100%. That's, Whereas Jake rare to find in any any working capacity, yeah, especially one that involves nine figure budgets. Oh yeah. Whereas J.J. Abrams just says, "I'll do whatever who's in charge tells me to do." Mm -hmm. And that's why you have comments. Like I know even in the lead up to the Rise of Skywalker, Adam Driver's been doing interviews forever, saying things like, "Oh, I always knew how Kylo Ren's character was going to end. I always knew what his end game was going to be." And then the last month, six weeks, he's like, "Well, I didn't have this figured out as I kind of let on I did." And that kind of ties into the Raylo conspiracy. That if you look at the film. It doesn't make sense as to why he died I, I, on a visual level. I'm not talking on a narrative level. On a narrative sure. level, I get the thing of that he needs to die for his sins. Um, I don't agree with that on a story level. Um, I like I like the ending that he dies because I'm just a sucker for bittersweet endings. I, I love that sure. in romance films. I love the idea of a bittersweet ending. Um, I love Titanic. I love La La Land. I love the idea of two people that belong to each other. And yet just by some either dispassionate or cruel twist of fate they get pulled away from each other i just i as a story level on my own little pea brain i love that that sort of thing just connects with me oh yeah that's um, where zach and i agree as i say on cinemodities a lot the the ending to the romero's night of living dead is the greatest thing ever to me <laughs> but that's that's different for a whole it's, that's it's not, not a romance, that's not a romance. Yeah, yeah. no it's not uh, a romance. no definitely not yet but in in romance movies i do like when you know you do have that that upset you know not everything sure. gets a happy ending 
And that's why I do want, I think I've made it loud and clear at this point that how much I, I feel this film was influenced by Titanic, Jimmy C's film. But even rewatching it for a fourth time, it really started to hit me over the head that like, oh, somebody who was involved with this film, whether it be Chris Terrio, J.J. Abrams, or anybody, the other cast of characters we've highlighted now, really liked Jimmy C's Titanic. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that is part of the studio notes, because when Disney does market research, they just don't ask, like, in, in a hypothetical Star Wars film, how would you feel about seeing Mace Windu in live action? Ewan McDonald live action? Hayden Christensen live action? Yoda! They don't just ask those questions. They'll ask questions like, what's your favorite film? What's your favorite romance film? What sort of things do you not like in a movie? And I could very well believe, considering that Titanic is still one of those films that I don't think it's been canceled yet. I don't think it's been labeled as problematic. Um, it's on TV all the time. I don't know how much of an indicator that is anymore. <laughs> it's it's always on. It's it's Jeez. it's it's always on, folks. Whether it be TNT USA, it's it's on or Freeform E. It's on some channel somewhere. I could see that being one of those films that a lot of people still rally behind. Not mm-hmm. like in a like a fandom sense, but I could see them being like people want romances. Like if we are going to do a. Uh, Oh God, what's, what's the term? A cis hetero romance. I can't believe that's a thing I actually just said. Um, <laughs> that's the sort of thing that we have to do because there are there beyond the ending of Ray Skywalker. There is the bittersweet romance of Ray. I'm sorry, Ben Solo dying in Ray's arms. Very yeah. similar to Jack in row. You know, they're not in there holding each other. She's holding his hand. And mm-hmm. it's a very similar thing of just, he dies out of nowhere. It's like, Oh, he's going to live. There's a boat coming. Jack, Jack, there's a boat. And then Jack, Jack, and she shakes us. It, it's a very similar sequence. Oh yeah. And then you have the moment too with C three PO where he actually says the line. I didn't even catch catch this until my last viewing. He goes, he says something. He's like, it only exists now in my memories, mm-hmm. which is which is the thing that Rose, old Rose, says, Gloria Stewart about Jack at the end of Titanic. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah. He, he only exists now in my memory, and that's like, oh my god, somebody clearly liked Titanic, which. <laughs> <laughs> Titanic Titanic is my favorite film that doesn't have the word Star and Wars in the title. So I've got no problem with it. Like it's one of those things where if you didn't like The Rise of Skywalker, I I don't want to say I pity you, but I understand. But at the same time, though, the movie clicks with me. Like, like royally clicks. So I can't complain about this movie. I love it, even though some of the things are jarring. Fair. But it makes me wonder is that did Disney was that a studio note? Yeah, uh, it could be because I I mean, for the longest time before we got into the the Marvel universe and and the Star Wars rebirth and stuff like that, um, that had to be the template. You know, how are we going to make the highest grossing movie in the world? Well, let's let's look at Titanic and let's look at Avatar. That had to be an idea. And there's no way that that isn't going to permeate today's feelings because you can't look at something like an endgame and say, well, well, how do we recreate that? Well, we need 20 movies beforehand. You have to look at those standalone things that just clicked with the public. It, it's almost like you're not doing your due diligence if you don't think about it that way. And it should be pointed out that in the rumors, J.J. did not want the Raylo kiss. And mm, Disney, yes. appear, and Disney appear, again, according to the rumors, Disney forced it upon him to placate certain parts of the fans. Yeah, yeah, to... to Reduce the controversy, hopefully, but that—that's that's almost that oxymoronic I, in and it's in and of itself. That's that's Star Wars fan nonsense. That's 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 adding 
a layer of analysis that shouldn't be there. Like that's one fair, thing too about fair. rumors. Rumors should be should be painting a picture of events that occurred, not providing analysis. And that's my that was always my problem too. Going back to the rumors we were reading back during the summer, rumors should be matter of fact, being like, okay, I have evidence that says this, 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 this mm-hmm. happens. There shouldn't be any analysis, and if there is, it should be put. It should be partitioned for later. Yeah. But. No one's ever going to do that. So that's just me screaming into the yeah, void. Yeah, absolutely. It's human nature. We just every time anybody says anything to anyone, it's it is a game of telephone, and it's going to get misconstrued at some point in the chain. Sure. Um. But yeah. But like that's the thing with Disney, though. With again the Titanic element, and then even looking again the Raylo conspiracy, and they've even put together edits of the film from like bootleg footage of like oh, like and they they do point to some scenes that don't make sense. Because we have uh, Ray's kissing Ben Solo, he collapses in her arms, and then he he fade. He does a Force Ghost fade into nothing, which we've yes. seen before. We've seen Luke, Obi Wan, Yoda. They all Force Ghost fade, and then we see Leia fade, and Maz Kanata smiles. Mm-hmm. And the Raylo conspiracy is, and when I say conspiracy, I don't mean that. I know conspiracy has a negative connotation. I don't mean. I, I, sh- I should be saying theory. But I just like the word conspiracy better. Um, when I say conspiracy, do not put any sort of context to it. Yeah. The theory is that if Leia's passing away into the Force, why would Maz Kanata be smiling? Why would both Leia and her son dying? Why would they? Why would she smile from that? And, and it's a very implicit scene. It's not. It's it's not a scene that that's really highlighted in any sort of meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why, why is that happen? In John Justice, friend of the show, host of my Nerd World, author of the Embark series, he pointed out the theory. I have to do it, folks. If Zenger's not here, I have. To I, do I was it. just about to say, if Zenger's not here, I don't know all the words, so it's up to no, me. no, no. <laughs> uh, but he pointed out I, I, at this point, the episode's probably a couple weeks old now. But on the episode that I think came out the Christmas week, he says that like, oh, the reason why Maz Kanata smiles is because it's the fact that they're it's the line that Yoda says in Revenge of the Sith. Do not mourn those that transform into the living force. Rejoice because they're now part of the the cosmic force. Mm-hmm. And I get that. Like I on that level, I wholly appreciate though. But that's way too heady of a concept for Chris Terrio and J.J. Abrams. <laughs> yes, the person who wrote the uh, the lasso of truth compels you to tell the truth. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Exactly. That's They're not capable of that. If Ryan Johnson did that, I'd be like, oh, that makes sense. But that's the thing with The Rise of Skywalker and with a lot of Star Wars meat. That's a lot with the fans. The fans that... I don't want to call them apologists because I am one of those. The only piece of Star Wars media that I really just, I'm, well, technically two pieces I'm not thrilled with. Um, I, to this day, I, I'm not thrilled with The Force Awakens. And I think, Mandal- I think Mandalorian's disposable for the most part. It's the idea that a lot of the fans that like this stuff, they do the thing that they do in the Bigfoot shows. That if you go into the woods looking for Bigfoot, every mm-hmm. noise you hear is going to be Bigfoot. Yep, so if you if you go into a Star Wars film loving it, certain things that don't make sense, you're just going to connect because you have a you have an intrinsic knowledge of this universe, and it's so vast and so layered. Anything c- can connect if you try hard enough. Yep, hundred percent. It's it's almost you know it's like uh, maybe not a, on a franchise level or knowledge of this, but if if you love something, you're more willing to overlook the flaws and possibly defend them to other people. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that goes into going back to the whole thing with Ben Solo dying, is that 
you have in the biggest smoking gun to that. And I remember even looking at the track listing when it was leaked like a few weeks ago was that the final track that's not finale is listed as a new home. Okay. And I remember, I remember listening to that track without the leaks and any of that in my mind. And I'm like, Oh, Ray and Ben solo are going to live together on Tatooine. We're going to bring the saga to an end where it began, even though it technically began on the boo, but we're not going to talk about that because that's, <laughs> that's, that's another Disney note. We can't have, st- I knew, I knew there was going to be no prequel trilogy stuff in this movie, not explicitly. Like there's some shots. There's, there's the Palpatine line about the, the dark side is the pathway to many abilities. Um, but you're, you're, you're never going to get Naboo in this. You were never going to get Coruscant. You never get the, the stuff that's really prequel trilogy era because yeah, Disney Disney listens to the to the 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 fifty year old fans. They that's the fans they listen to. They don't care about the fact that my generation grew up on the prequels. They don't care about them. They figure we're stupid enough. We'll buy the stuff regardless. Um, but going back to the point though, when I heard a new home on the soundtrack, I'm like, okay, we are getting Raylo. We are going to get Ray and Ben living together. And then you watch a new you watch that sequence at the end of the film. And it makes no sense. Why is Ray going back to Tatooine? Why is she burying one of what only three lightsabers in the universe at that point? Two lightsabers in the universe? Like, come on, made it, no sense to me. It makes that part doesn't bother me because it's like okay, it's letting the it's letting the past sift into the sands. You're okay. ba- it's literally you're letting the past you're giving the past a burial. More symbolic are, than than literal. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's you're you're putting think about you have Luke's you have the Luke's lightsaber, the first lightsaber the world ever saw. Mm-hmm. Then you have the Leia lightsaber. Oh, yeah. Technically, this at that point, the newest lightsaber we've ever seen, except the Ray one comes later. And I still think that was a reshoot. Or or something. Uh, that was that was added in later. That just that that whole sequence just is really bizarre. Um, and I think what it is is that you're you are you're not burying it as in let the past die. You are burying it as you're making peace with it. You're taking the new and the old. You're taking the Skywalker saga and you're burying it once and for all. Sure. And that's the sort of part where I'm like, okay, that's that's the sort of symbolism that J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio I could believe them doing. Yeah. Um. That yeah. that's very easy to believe. But the part that doesn't make sense. Is that like why is it on Tatooine? Why why would you bury those two lightsabers on Tatooine? There's like Luke didn't want to be on Tatooine. He did everything in his power to escape Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. Um. The Lars Homestead is a place of pain. Whether it be Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru dying there, and soon dead, and un- and Uncle gonna bite it. Yep. <laughs> yep. And like this is where this is where Shimi Skywalker was buried. This is where Obi Wan had to kind of just dump Luke to hide him from the Emperor Invader. Yeah, I didn't even think a, about that. It's where Anakin and his mother were slaves. <laughs> yep. It's it's this place where nothing good has ever come from Tatooine. It's where Le- it's where Han Solo was trapped in carbonite. It's where Leia was made into a slave. It's 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 a place where nobody wants to be. Mm-hmm. Yet we're ending the saga here because. The fans will recognize it because it's the beginning of Star Wars. And that feels like a studio note. We have to end Star Wars where it began. Despite on a narrative level, it doesn't belong here. And that ties into the whole thing of you have people that shouldn't be making creative decisions telling you how to write your story. Yep, exactly. 
And then you have other stuff too that the Raylos have gone through. They've actually taken footage of one at the end where Ray is like staring at the binary sunset, and they're comparing it to the footage of Ray when she's on Pasana staring down Kylo Ren's Tie Fighter coming at her. Mm-hmm. And there's a and even though it's not hard to do this, they've done like overlaps in her body posture, her elbows, her shoulders, her legs. They're all in the exact same position. And oh. guess what? The reason why you would copy that that footage is because it's shot in a very similar climate when it comes to lighting, the sand reflecting off Daisy yep. Ridley. It wouldn't that's if you are gonna repurpose footage, that's the easiest footage to convincingly do with with a sand an, another sand planet. Sure. And yes, these are all conspiracy theories, and I'm not telling you to believe them. I'm just presenting evidence that's compelling to me. Mm-hmm. I haven't made up my mind about them. I'm still waiting for more and more information, and there's a good chance I will be making up my mind many months, if not years from now. Yeah. And then and then you add to all this. Ben Solo turns into the living force in a way that's only reserved for force characters of a certain caliber. Yeah. Obi-Wan, Yoda, Leia, yet Ben Solo. Then okay, if he's turning into the living force, and we have the we have Leia and Luke Force Ghost at the end, why isn't Ben Solo there? Like in all honesty, if he's of that quote unquote stature, he should be in that level of thing. He should be there, being like you have the entire Skywalker family behind you, Ray. Yeah, which that's what he, he should she should see everybody. And yeah. I don't mean everybody as in um Mace Windu or Obi Wan or even uh. A uh, weird, what's the word? Purgatory Harrison Ford. I'm not talking about that, everybody. Yeah, it just the be... Skywalkers, the people that led her on this journey yeah. and helped her through it. Absolutely. Exactly. And the fact that Adam Driver isn't there leads me to believe that, oh, this decision to kill him was one that was done after the fact. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I all and it's a fact to even how he dies. Like it's not hard to make a convincing thing of him laying on the ground and have a dissolve effect. Anybody with Adobe Final Final Cut Pro can do a dissolve to nothing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I just get the feeling, and I know there's a lot of people attacking the Raylo community. I I don't think they're I think their theory is trending in a very believable direction. And there's just so much other circumstantial evidence, and that's what all this is at the end of the day. It's all circumstantial. Mm-hmm. Until we until we see footage, we're never with, with a timestamp or a time code on it. We're never going to know how true any of this is. Um, but a lot of it is really circumstantial evidence that's hard to argue with. Yeah, I mean, uh, for someone like me, the filthy casual who doesn't think about this stuff, and and you know uh, hasn't come into this with any preconceived notions about it i think you make a, a strong argument for it absolutely once again speculation um we would need hard more hard evidence but like you're saying some of the signs point to it for sure in the lead up to this film i know it was kind of a weird hallmark on me on this podcast and on social media i was always baffled by in all the marketing adam driver was wearing the stupid helmet yeah i remember Yet- you- we us talking about that. Yep. Yeah, in every piece of footage we saw, like from the actual film, not promotional stills, it was always Adam Driver without the helmet, mm-hmm. and I could never figure out what was going on there. I'm like, what? Like, I'm like, what is up? This like, he, like the helmet's gone. Why are you bringing back the helmet? 
on a story level. And then as I was watching this, and yes, I would imagine the helmet coming back was always part of the story to some capacity, even though it plays no symbolic role in the film, at least in the film that we see, it got me thinking. Adam Driver is a very, very in-demand actor. Yes, definitely. So if you're J.J. Abrams, and we talked about it in our Charlie's Angels Full Throttle episode when it came to uh, – like Bernie Mac and getting all the different actors, like certain actors aren't there in certain scenes. You can just tell because they're not in the same shot together. Mm-hmm. What if they put Adam driver in the helmet? And I, and I'm sorry. They put Kylo Ren in the helmet because it wasn't him. They go get his, oh. they get his stunt double. Who's going to have a very similar build and body posture to him. Yeah. Put the helmet on. And then considering with today's technology, Adam driver can read lines of dialogue on his, on his cell phone Send it to Disney. They can just process it through the Kylo Ren mask. Yeah, if that gets the paycheck and your name in the credits, absolutely. It would also answer my question of how does all his hair fit under the helmet? It's a different person. No, that you, that's an interesting point. You know, that's something that these, you know, like a, a Marvel or I guess just superhero movies in general or Star Wars, if you have a mask on, you can put anybody you want underneath it and then say whatever character you want it to be, that's who it is. Absolutely. It's movie that's, magic. That's why it's also a good way to do reshoots, which mm-hmm. guess what? J.J. Abrams loves to reshoot things. And if you're Adam Driver's agent and you're the, the scheduling person for The Rise of Skywalker, and guess what? Adam's not available for, for the reshoots period or even principal photography. What do you do? You put him in the helmet. And, yeah. you, have him, and, you, and you plug in his lines. And that's easy enough. He can do that in his hotel room one day. He can do that in his trailer. All he's got to do is read it on his phone. Yeah, especially they, since the mask gives him a voice modulator. That makes it even easier to, to fake. Yep. And that's why the mask... I'm watching the film for the fourth time, and that mask just comes off and on so arbitrarily. Yeah. Like, like when they're on the desert and Ray cuts his TIE fighter, he's wearing the helmet. And I know I, I've been saying... I've been beating this drum loud since April. It makes no sense for them not to show him in the TIE fighter, in that first trailer. Why not just include that? Why did you have to keep that ambiguous? We all mm-hmm. knew it was going to be him. Why keep it ambiguous? Unless something happened. I have no idea what that something was. Just throwing that out there. And then he's wearing the helmet in the footage of it, him in the cockpit. Then she cuts the thing. She cuts the TIE fighter. It goes spinning off into three different directions. And he gets out. And he's not wearing the helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, then the, you're right yeah it comes on and off like crazy absolutely that's why i mean and and there's no narrative reason for it to come off or on like if, if we had just one scene in this with with him with the knights of red and the little monkey man fixing the helmet being like why are we doing this or the monkey man being like why, why are you doing this and he gave some arbitrary star warsy reason sith energy intimidation of his of his uh, uh, what's the word? Legions. Mm-hmm. Any reason? I bad ha- uh, bad helmet hair. <laughs> yeah. Any reason you want, but no reasons given because it's just it's a. I think it's a reason that's there to just serve the production. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And could that's why. A, could it be for merchandising? They want to show the little kids that a helmet can come on and off so much that they know they can do it with the toy when they get it. <laughs> I yes. I I think. That's like a half joke, half serious, because yeah, I, I in the, that, I, the, I the, the merchandising stuff in those rumors and, and whatever we're calling that Reddit post, I was definitely like, ah, 
that makes sense why we have like seven different characters repeat the same line so the kids know that's what the toy does. Yeah, I, yes. There's a. I would imagine the the helmet thing is a weird catch twenty two, because there's two trains of thought when it comes to um mark um merchandising. There's the attitude of people like what's familiar, mm-hmm. but then there's also the attitude of oh I have all the Kylo Ren mask stuff from the Force Awakens. Why am I going to buy the exact same thing just because it has a bunch of red lines on it? Yeah, exactly. If you create, it's it's the Michael like Michael Eisner had an infamous quote when Cars was coming before Cars came out that Pixar wanted to make I think Toy Story three, and Michael Eisner said those characters already make me enough money. Create some new characters that can make me more money. Sure, and that's the attitude by creating new stuff, and that's what George Lucas is a thing was creating the prequel trilogy if i go back and do what you've already seen x-wings tie fighters mm-hmm. stormtroopers you already have all that merchandise you're not going to be as compelled to buy it because it's not new and mm-hmm. that's why you got battle droids clone troopers all this new stuff during the prequel era because it was a new way to entice people in whereas everything now and it's the culture we live in everything is derivative now everything is the same uh, nothing changes unless it's slightly tweaked. Yep. And unfortunately, that's the reality. Kylo Ren's helmet is the Star Wars equivalent of Captain America's armor in every movie changing slightly. It's the exact same thing. They just tweaked it. Whereas before, he had he had a hood and like a beat up scarf. Now he has a a cape with a with a hood. It's just tweaked slightly. Yeah. And that's what it kind of comes down to. Yeah. It's just, and that's what Disney does. They don't, nothing is ever shoot from the hip in a, oh, this will make sense to audiences. It's looking at the spreadsheet, looking at the market research and saying, aha, we figured it out. And I think George Lucas says it in the, um, the, the infamous white slavers interview with Charlie Rose. He goes, when you hire a filmmaker, it's essentially hiring a professional gambler. You Mm -hmm. give them a huge sum of money and say, double it for me. Yep, that's their job. And he goes, you can't give a professional gambler a bunch of market research and says, don't bet on this number, don't bet on that color, don't bet on that hand, because that's not how it works. You market research does not get you out of the woods. Yeah, it's 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 so weird to think about once again, but it, it's almost uh, it's it's a little disgusting to me. But that's exactly just the way it works. That's the way these systems work and have worked and will continue to work for the. Hell, past the foreseeable future. But the thing that bothers me about this, and this brings it full circle to what my biggest complaint is on Knights of Vader, and it goes all the way back to the Rebel Scum forum days with me. It's the idea that you have idiots on the internet, and this goes into the the blind leading the blind, Mm -hmm. that see the Reddit leaks and go, there's no way Disney would ever sabotage their own film. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, and it's like they're not sabotaging the film. They're not taking. They didn't take uh, Rogue One away from Gareth Edwards in order to ruin Gareth Edwards' career. Or the film. They didn't take Solo away from Lord and Miller to ruin Lord and Miller in the film. They do. It's like the old saying goes: "The road to hell is path paved with good intentions." Mm-hmm. That's what they're doing here. They don't know what they're creating. They're just doing what they think is best, but it's just horribly misguided. And that's why when you do get someone like Ryan Johnson that knows how to keep them at bay, you don't let go of him. Yeah. And that's and, and the worst part of this is you have the fans on the internet that just want to swallow the narrative, whether it be the YouTube narratives, 
whether it be the uh, the the film critic narrative, whether it be the Raylo narrative. And that's the one thing I'm so delighted by the audience when it comes to Knights of Vader is that that's one thing I think is find so fascinating about whether it be the Facebook group or social media is that in the history of this podcast, we've gotten like literally two pieces of hate mail. Okay. Two in nearly three years, two pieces of hate mail. That's got to be a record. <laughs> it has to be, especially in Star Wars. Like we have one one star review on iTunes, and that person didn't even leave a review. It's the idea that with Knights of Vader, I never, I've, I've told the audience this numerous times. Don't ever believe what I say wholesale. I want you to listen to what I have to say and reconcile it with everything else that you hear. Mm-hmm. And I want you to come to your own conclusion. And the problem is that outside of a few people here and there, John Justice being one of them, nobody on the internet is doing that because all everybody does on the internet is, is we want, A, we want your money. And B, we're going to shove our opinion down your throat. And we want you to regroup. We want you to lockstep repeat it. And I don't want that at all. I never want anybody repeating my opinion wholesale. And that's the thing that drives me nuts is that there's fans on both sides. Whether it be the people that believe the rumors or the like, – you saw the comments on Reddit, the people being like, uh, this blah, 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 Disney ruined Star Wars. And then you have the other idiots on Twitter that go, Disney would never ruin their own product like this. And that's why it, it's fascinating that, that nobody wants to find the middle ground. Like it's, it's the extremes, which is sadly the world we live in. But that's yep. the part I find so fascinating is that you have Star Wars fans out there that claim to love Star Wars, yet they don't want to think about it at all. Yeah, they just want to, like we have we said earlier today and on Cinemodities a lot, they want what's familiar and safe. And when that gets challenged, they're going to get defensive and fight for it to the death. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, there's so, so many people are willing to die on hills when it comes to Star Wars, but it's the most inexplicable things. Yeah, that's that's why I'm fascinated by Star Wars these days. You know, it's like people who you know may, might not listen to our podcasts or cinemodities in this podcast, they know that I'm involved to some extent with the Star Wars one, and they're always like, "Oh, so you really like Star Wars?" And I'm like, "Not particularly. I'm more intrigued by it." And that and it's because of exactly what we're describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's just one of those things. Like, because this is part where I kind of I don't again I don't want to talk too much, but it's kind of one of those things where we have Rob on just to hear me talk. Um, cause I do want to ask Rob some other things that he noticed in this, but just while I'm on the train of thought, I just want to transition into the box office real quick yes. because, um, I don't think I've talked about it on the record on the podcast. I know if you join the Knights of Vader Facebook group, I, I do some box. I did a video in there that was about 10 minutes long. Um, everybody who watched it seemed to have liked it. Um, the box office stuff is pretty dry. Last time I did an entire box office episode, it kind of, it did fine. Didn't, didn't break out the way certain uh, Knights of Vader episodes do. Was it for um, Solo? Was that the last one? No, I did a Rise of Skywalker one. Oh, I, did right. a, I, okay, okay. I, I did a prediction. I did a prognostication episode on that. Okay. It, did, it did fine. It did par, but it didn't really, considering that nobody else was doing anything quite like that in the fandom, I was, I was surprised. Even John Justice really gave it a nice shout out, and it still didn't overperform. Which, okay. which I found shocking, but no, like like uh, the box office for the Rise of Skywalker. I know back in whenever I did that back in July or August when I did my box office prognostication, I anticipated the Rise of Skywalker doing around seven hundred to eight hundred and fifty million, mm-hmm. give give or take, um, based on the trajectory of the final film and the previous the trilogies, whether that be the jump from empire to jedi or attack of the clones to sith i kind of expected a similar jump 
for the um, Rise of Skywalker. Sure. And um, again, for the context, I'm only talking about domestic, so that's U.S. and Canada. I will get into international in a moment. Uh, but based on the numbers, uh, Rise of Skywalker, I, I see a lot of Star Wars fans trying to interpret this as, um, oh, wow, like ever since the, the holidays, it's really like picking up steam. Um, no. It's, it's picking up steam if you look at it just objectively. If you look at what it's doing, yes, it is mm-hmm. picking up steam. But compared to what it should be doing, it's not. Um, the As of now, just looking at some of the numbers on Box Office Mojo and doing some of my uh, back-of-the-envelope calculations, like Rise of Skywalker is going to be lucky if it gets the $600 million domestic. I mean, that's lucky. Okay. As of now, I, I still see it coming in, give or take, maybe a little bit above Rogue One. A bar for the sake of argument, we're barring Solo because Solo was a bomb. Sure. But out of the 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 big openings of Star Wars films, Rogue One was the lowest performer, making five hundred and thirty-two domestic in the U.S. and Canada. And I wow. I don't see I don't see Rogue I don't see it doing much better than that. I see it maybe doing around five fifty five sixty, but as anybody can tell you, that's a huge huge distance away from the seven hundred minimum it should have done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the film is underperforming. Um, I, I forget where I said this. I think I, I, I might have said it on the podcast. I, I, I've constantly said a few places now, so forgive me, people, if I've already said this. Um, I, I, this is a disappointment to Disney. I know a lot of people. I, I, I did it on. I retweeted it on Twitter. Somebody had a Twitter moment analyzing the box office for the Rise of Skywalker. Um, it's from somebody named Nash at. I'm sorry, at Nash zero seven six. Um, I don't know what he does in real life. He, it, his description is my hovercraft is full of eels. I know, <laughs> I know that's, I, I know that's uh, a Monty Python reference. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know what he does. But he was doing an entire thing. And he's talking about how people saying that the rise of Skywalker being a bomb, that's misinformation. And of course, I, I agree with that. Um, I, it's not Rise of Skywalker is not a bomb in any sense of the word. But then he later goes on to say things like he compares things like certain movies bombing, like Cats, um, like the Rocketeer, Justice League being like a weird sort of like gray zone where it cost too much to make, but at the same time it didn't make as much. But it did. It, it, it barely got into the black probably at the end okay. of the day. Um, but the thing that he says that it, it, I don't want to say it concerns me, but it's a bit of misinformation or just not extrapolating as far as it should he's um he makes a point late very late in his twitter thread or whatever you want to call it twitter moment whatever the correct term is nowadays sure. he goes a lot of people like if a film doesn't make a billion dollars it's seen as a failure and he goes well that's not true because certain films don't they're profitable regardless of whether they make a billion dollars and sure that's in a very one-sided way two-dimensionally He's right. He's not wrong. But there's, there's when it comes to movie studios, they're a business, like we've mentioned. They have forecasting. They have to fig- They have yep. to anticipate how much money these movies are going to bring in. And the example I always point to is Batman v Superman: Dawn of Nine Eleven. In that, that film should have easily, not in Warner Brothers' worst nightmares, did that film not clear a billion dollars. And worldwide, that film only got to 870, I think, give or take. Mm, okay. They definitely anticipated that film making at least two to three hundred million dollars more than it did. Sure. So, when that film underperforms, it changes the entire outlook of not just that, the, the DC movies, but 
the studio doing business for the next year because that means films that are currently in production are going to be cut not cut but they're going to be shortchanged there's going to be a lot of corner cutting now because money that they anticipated being in their coffers is yep. not there and then it, it also shows that okay there's not as much interest in this as we anticipate mm-hmm. and considering that how a lot of these movie studios to tie this back to titanic are kind of like huge ocean liners is that when they turn it takes years to feel that turn yes so when this guy says, oh, just because the rise of Skywalker doesn't make the, the doesn't reach the threshold that everybody thinks it should, doesn't mean it's a, bo- a, a box office failure or a disappointment. It shouldn't be written off. Well, yeah, it's not a failure, but to the studio, they're not going to see it that way because there's because when movies, uh, how they perform at the box office, there's two layers to it. There's the numbers layer, which you can't argue with. Numbers are numbers. Numbers don't lie. But then you also have the narrative level. And when the rise of Skywalker, and like we've said previously, every final film in the Star Wars trilogy always has a bump. And considering that it didn't get that bump, and it's going to do toward the lesser end of the spectrum, Disney's going to interpret that as there's not as much interest in this on the big screen. Mm -hmm. And I said that in my 10-minute long Facebook video. That when Disney sees that Star Wars on the big screen isn't as a profitable venture and it also hurts the narrative, it doesn't give them as much control over this, the, the, the media or the, the spin of it all, they're going to start retreating from that space. I'm not saying that they're going to stop making Star Wars movies. We're, we're definitely going to get another Star Wars movie at some point. But if there was any sort of incentive to... Greenlight something It went out the window when the rise of Skywalker Only made 175 million dollars Opening weekend Sure. If there was a film that they were they were toying with And we know they've done that It happened uh, the night Solo premiered that Thursday the Variety was, was writing articles About how James Bangold was making The Boba Fett film And guess what that movie was dead the Monday after the Solo came out mm-hmm. and, and the people say well you don't know that I do know that because the Monday after Tomorrowland came out, Tron three was canceled because they were, and that's because there is folks. I want you to believe me. This is one thing I want you to take my word on. I know about this company. Like Rob can attest to this. Anybody who's known me, I've spent 10, I got into a fight with people on, um, on Twitter, there's there's a box office prognosticator. He's been my he's been my, his his handle is box office guru. He's been my box office guru since July 2010 with Inception when I first started winning posters. And Rob can attest to this. He was there for for the poster contest winning summer. <laughs> yep, he knows this story inside and out. I that, still tell it to some people. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I I I, I was. It's funny on Gitesh Pandya's Twitter account. I was arguing with people last weekend. Or I guess the weekend after Christmas before New Year's About uh, Rise of Skywalker's second weekend drop Because I know about the box office I know how this works Like I wish I could translate my knowledge into this stuff Into something like, I don't know, day trading I could make an absolute fortune if my mind worked the same way With those sort of things (laughs) as it does with this sort of stuff If only I, I had a professor in college who would say Like when it came to like nerdy topics If only I could channel this into something profitable Um, And that's how I am I understand the box office I understand how these companies work I wrote my 100 page thesis in college For my business degree on this In marketing I I won two debates I I convinced a room full of people to invest in Disney Over Google twice 
on my knowledge of this company. I know how they work. I implore you. Again, I, like I said before, I still want you to reconcile my thoughts with everybody else's though, but at least trust me to at least invite me into your headspace because I know how they work. I know when the, I, I can, I have a, a foreshadowing, I, or not foreshadowing, I have a feeling. I know when the rumors are true. I know when a lot of this stuff clicks. I'm not always right. But I do know how to read the tea leaves properly. And these rumors, they ring true. They Everything that I read, the fact that Disney took away the film from J.J., the fact that he just didn't care because he had his Warner Brothers deal, the fact that they, they were trying to uh, outbid Warner Brothers for no other reason to, dep- to deprive Warner Brothers of J.J. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Forrest Ghost Jim had this very, very profound opinion, like I think months ago, that the only reason why Disney bought, 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 eh, bought Fox was not for the catalog. They bought the, the 20th Century Fox to deny Universal, Warner Brothers. It was to deny their competition it. Yep. And that makes more sense. Like Everybody forgets that when uh, Warner Brothers announced Batman v Superman, the only reason why Marvel did Captain America Civil War is because they wanted to undercut D- uh, DC. Mm-hmm. They had no intentions of that. Kevin Feige in an interview says, we had no intentions of making this movie until Warner Brothers tipped their hand. And that's what happens. Disney's out for blood. They play for keeps. This this isn't Uncle Walt. Well, maybe it is Uncle Walt's company because Walt also was very cutthroat like that. Oh, yeah. That's where that's the one aspect of the company that's still kind of <laughs> that is Walt. Yeah, um, permeated it, through all the years and it'll probably never go away. Yeah. Strangely enough, yeah. Um, it's that idea of it's like, no, it's like we play for keeps. We're not gonna, you know what? If you turn your back to us, we're not gonna make you let you make that mistake twice. Um, and that's why all this rumors and stuff and all this stuff in the rise of Skywalker doesn't mean you can't like any of this stuff. That's why I want to say at the end of the day, um, you can point out the, the flaws and things and still love them. Mm -hmm. Like again, the rise of Skywalker is far from a perfect film, but I love it. I love the ending. I love the kiss. I love the Palpatine. I love, you know, the space battle is a little underwhelming. I love it. Um, it, it, it feels like Star Wars. I, I dig it. I I want more of it. And that's the shame of all this is that like, even though. The Rise of Skywalker is an objective mess. Um, I want more of that. I'd rather have, I think I've said it numerous times, give me a Batman v Superman over a, a civil war. And I think my new, my new uh, analogy is going to be, give me a Rise of Skywalker over a Mandalorian any day. I'd yeah. rather watch two hours of like, I'd rather feel like I'm watching Star Wars for two hours, even if I feel the speed bumps, as opposed to five hours of Baby Yoda and not Boba Fett doing nothing for, for five hours. Sure. There's, there's no... St- there's no story in the Mandalorian. It's just five hours. Of, it's it's there's a story there, but it's a it's a rogue. Not even it's not even it's a solo story. It's a little corner. It's a story told off into the corner somewhere. Mm-hmm. But Star Wars has that grandiose epicness to it. It's a story for the ages. Star Wars was never meant to be these little side stories. Yes, the star the side stories are great when there's nothing else. When Revenge of the Sith was over, I, Rob can tell you I was nothing short of delighted when the Clone Wars started. He knows how excited. I was for that. Oh yeah, but but Star Wars as a grandiose thing should never be sacrificed to make a buck on a streaming service. Fair, fair point. I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. And just one last thing I want to say until I let Rob talk a little bit is that even with the streaming services, everybody keeps talking about how streaming services are the future of Hollywood, and even Hollywood seems to be drinking that Kool Aid now, or I should be saying Flavor Aid. It's it's the idea (laughs) that. Every like think about it. Movies were the first like communal media we had in, in culture. 
And think of all the other forms of media that have come that were that were always destined to destroy the movies. Mm-hmm. Radio was going to destroy the movies. Television was going to destroy the movies. VCRs were going to destroy the movies. Streaming was going to des- destroy the movies. And guess what? The movies are still here. And oh, yeah. based on all those other th- factors, who's to believe that streaming is going to be that final nail in the coffin? It's not. It's it's just another fad Hollywood's chasing. And yes, it's made the channel to get product to the consumer much easier than all those the cost of goods sold is much lower in streaming than all those others combined but still it's it's not the end of movies and that's the sad thing is that i would imagine at disney now the the hiatus is going to happen we are not going to get another star wars film until the very earliest 2022 and heaven forbid avatar 2 takes off and we're gonna get a hundred of those and lord knows if if like that's the problem is that like i i want star wars to continue I want big screen adventures, whether that be episode 10, Solo, Rogue One. I want those big screen adventures. I honestly think Star Wars on the small screen is where it goes to kind of just like, it's kind of like a dog on its deathbed. It goes and wanders off to the corner to die. I don't want that. And I feel like that's a symptom. And to bring this final thing back to Titanic, I feel like Rose. I'm the only person screaming out, being like, folks, Star Wars television's where Star Wars goes to die. It's not where it goes to thrive. And yet nobody yep. can hear me. Yeah, yeah, you're right. All right, a Rob. Lot of, a lot of things go to die. You know, they get stretched out way too long and people say they hate them. I mean, we we've lived it. This is this is the opposite of one of my favorite adventure time quotes. History repeats itself, but no one lives long enough to see it. Now we're in an era where history is constantly repeating itself every year and just everybody chooses to ignore it because we've seen it with, you know, the masses on with Lost, with Game of Thrones, with any popular TV show. Break, Breaking Bad, I think, might be one of the only exceptions because they they knew to stop it at a certain point. But then they did Better Call Saul and that kind of, you know, did went the same way. It just gets stretched out and it milks the cow dry until people say, this is stupid, I hate it, it went on too long. Which I, I'm doing air quotes because I hate when people say something went on too long. But I, I kind of get the sense of what they mean these days. Things mm-hmm. go on too long or they get stretched too thin and that's where they go to die. You know, that's where you're, you get the people who say, I don't want to watch something new. I might like it, but I'd rather watch reruns of The Office or shows I like to see. That's that. That's good. what's going to happen to anything that goes to TV, Star Wars or not. And it's just it's just the way the cycle repeats itself. Yep. Like I can, you can count the amount of TV shows I've had fulfilling endings on one hand, and yet yeah. people think yet people think somehow their favorite entertainment property, whether it be Game of Thrones, Dexter, Stranger Things, Star Wars, somehow they've convinced themselves, nope, nope, this will be the exception. Yep, and it then never oh. is. Don't even get into reboots, you know, like X-Files. Let's do this 10 years later, even more than 10 years, I think it was. Because then they think, okay, maybe people have forgotten about it enough and they remember the nostalgia and it's good enough to bring back. And then it, it just gets lackluster response and it just keeps happening. But hey, they watched it. They paid for CBS All Access to watch yep. Jordan Peele do complete the Twilight Zone under nothing but the name. It's not the same at all. But hey, we got our viewership. We got our money. We got our shareholders happy. We're bouncing. That's all it is. Yep. That's a, that's a sad reality of the situation. I hope, uh, I hope everybody appreciates what I'm getting at here. I'm not telling anybody to believe anything. I'm not saying you like anything, but just factor all, let that all seep into your mind. That's all I yep. ask for. Absolutely. Let the osmosis happen. <laughs> there you go. All right, Rob. So anything else, not anything else, but 
Anything else that was jarring to you in this movie or anything you want to highlight? Oh, I do have some highlights. I guess we're going here after the um, what the the huge philosophical road we just went down. Damn straight. <laughs> Seems to be the case every time. It's just me and you on <laughs> Knights of Vader. We get more philosophical than we do on our own podcast. <laughs> so um, I guess I have to say uh, I did want to tell this story. Um, how it took me a few tries to see this movie. Uh, Zach and I were actually supposed to go see this together the weekend after, not the weekend, the Monday after it came out. Um, the government reached out to me and said, you two are too strong together. You can't leave the state, Rob. So we didn't get to see it together. Um, I knew I had to see it to be able to talk about it with Zach, though. Uh, one one weekday, I believe it was, after maybe it was out for two weeks, I was like, okay, you know, I'll head down to the movie theater and I'll catch it. It should be a little less crowded. It's a smaller theater I go to. Um, and I wanted to catch a 4.30 showing. I get to the movie theater. As I'm ready to buy my ticket, I see that there's also a 4.30 p.m. showing of Uncut Gems, and I saw that instead, which I still think is hilarious. And I know Zach agrees with me that I went to the movie theater with the complete intention to see Star Wars and then decided to see another movie that didn't even really interest me. But it was good, so I have to say that. About a week later, or maybe half a week later, I did go see it in theaters finally so I could discuss it. So I had to get that story in there that I was kind of putting this off. Um, and there was one point during the rise of Skywalker, I was sitting in the theater and I was thinking to myself, I might've shaken my head a little bit. And I basically thought to myself, I wish I was watching thumb wars. <laughs> Aren't we all okay with that out of the way? Um, I have to, I have to do it again. I want to tell a story that's going to summarize my thoughts on droids. I don't want to. I, I could talk. I could do a whole another two hours. Beep boop trash can on the beep boop trash cans and how stupid they are in the Rise of Skywalker. But I don't. I won't get into that because I'm trying to find inner peace. But one of my favorite stories from my undergrad is I took. I had to take a finance class for my major, and it was being taught by a Chinese native, and it was his first year in America. I think it was his first semester teaching uh, a class in America. This was near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, so it doesn't get any wider than that, you know, in the, in the farmland around Pittsburgh. And he had a very heavy accent. Um, it would take, you know, a few interactions for, for students to understand him, for him to understand students and things like that. He was a smart dude. I really respected him. Um, but one of the things he would always do, kind of his hallmark, uh, was that he would have the class work on problems in real time in class, and then he would call on students to answer the question. You know, not not look for volunteers like he would actually go and call on students. And I will never forget one time he had us uh, work out a problem. He called on some girl and said, you know, what did you get? Like, what was your solution? What was the, the answer you found for some finance problem? It was probably amortization or something like that. And the girl responds with, oh, I couldn't do it. <clears throat> Sorry. I couldn't do it because my computer died. Immediately as she said this, the teacher's face went white. He had no idea what she said. And he was like, what? What? And, and the whole class, me included, was immediately confused. We were like, she didn't curse at him. She didn't say, like, you know, I'm not doing this. She just said my computer died. And he was shocked. He, he did not understand what she meant to him. And apparently his culture, an electronic cannot die because it is never living. This is a funny story where, you know, oh, you know, oh, my, my computer died. It ran out of battery. So she couldn't use the calculator or the, or the spreadsheet, you know, whatever software to answer the problem. 
We think of that as commonplace. This is my story to tell people that, yes, it's a funny story, but reflect on this and realize that we're dumb as a culture. Electronics don't die. <laughs> Batteries don't die. They run out of charge. We just use this colloquialism because that's, that's what Americans do. I can't change that. But we should never lose fact that it is just that, a colloquialism. Droids cannot live. Droids cannot die. They can just be damaged. They can be prevented from, you know, electricity flowing through them or whatever would power them. That's, that's where I want to end this. Hopefully, Zach will have me back one day for a Mandalorian discussion because I think the Mandalorian did a, a somewhat decent job of handling droids. Oh, a so little bit you better. Like the Mandalorian. A now little bit better. Well, no, don't don't get me wrong. Episode three, the Mandalorian looks at a droid and says, "Drive the speeder." It shakes it head. It shakes its head no. <laughs> so he points a gun at it, and then the droid <laughs> drives. Stupid. If you think that's funny, fine. It it could be a cute moment. That is terrible, terrible writing, though. That is terrible story because a droid cannot experience fear. A computer cannot experience <laughs> fear. And I have such a problem with this. Check out our Tomorrowland episode where I go on this rant as well. But that's what I'm saying. I wanted to relay that story because I think that encapsulates very well that we as a culture have convinced ourselves that electronics can die and are sentient when they are not. And the day we do make them sentient... We get, you know, Judgment Day, and that's no good. James Cameron taught us that. <laughs> okay, I want everybody in the Knights of Vader audience, and there's a few of you out there that listen to Cinemodities. I was kind of convincing, not convincing, but I was presenting to Rob maybe doing Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. Oh, I, I, it, I'm well aware of what, what entails, that movie entails, and I'm sure okay. we're going to get angry that, about that too. If you, Blade Runner 2049 is going to drive you up a wall. If that's the case, that movie's just going to drive, like, that's... Ooh, ooh, that's 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 a that's a beep boop trash can movie with a capital beep boop. Oh yes, oh yes. Okay, oh, God, okay. you, you well, and your infatuation with the droids of Star Wars—they're Wars. they're terrible. They're not living, and the moment they start to live, we need to stop it at all costs. Other than that, the things I wanted to highlight: um, uh, there was one moment in the movie theater I laughed out loud, and it wasn't—it wasn't one of those like. A hearty, you know, repetitive laugh. I don't want to blow out the mic, so I'm going to move back a little bit. But one scene in The Rise of Skywalker, um, no one else in the theater had a reaction. But when it occurred, you could hear me I, I, near the back. That's where I was sitting. Just go, ha! Like, I thought it was so comically stupid. And it's the scene where Hux is revealed to be the spy. Let me, <laughs> let me paint this picture. I'm sure everybody listening to this has seen this movie more than times than I have, so more than once. But uh, Finn, uh, Poe, and Chewbacca get captured by the bad guys there. They're going to get executed by the stormtroopers. Hux comes in, and he's like, I want to do this. And he takes the gun from one of the stormtroopers, and it, we, the camera switches to just our three heroes, and they're saying something like, oh, this is, this is the way we go out. This is how it happens. You hear the gun blaster, the blaster go off. They're like, oh, we're okay. Immediate cut to Dom Hall Gleason's torso, snap zoom into his face and he goes i'm the spy this was so stupidly comical to me i was like did they just do one take like what was this i laughed so one extreme laugh just immediately came out of my body and i think people turned around and looked at me in the theater <laughs> But no, this was so clunky and yeah. so dumb. I was like, 
I, I, I saw it coming from a mile away. Like, who else is going to be the spy? You know, someone who was introduced just this movie? No, of course it's going to be this dude. And But the way they revealed it, I was just, like, shaking my head, face-palming. I, I think about it now, and it's just hilarious. So that got you, too, I'm thinking? Uh, I oh, The problem, though, is that, like, yeah, the, the Hux thing's a problem because a lot of his stuff doesn't make sense. Uh, this goes more to <clears throat> the theories about, like, what they changed. I know at one point there was a rumor that, like, Kylo Ren kills him, like, on some swamp planet. I have no idea how true that is. That was a rumor from a while ago. Okay. Um, but the Hux thing feels rushed. Like, a lot, nothing in the movie with him makes sense. He's only there because he's a pre-established character. Yeah. It certainly he, feels that way. Like, he's here because we, we need him, you know, or we're required to have him. Yeah, and even I mean, it seems like you know at one point though, even when like he tells Finn to like shoot him, and, and Finn's like, "Why? Why are you doing this? Like, I don't care if you win as long as Kylo Ren loses." And it's like that that doesn't make sense. Ky- <laughs> Kylo Ren isn't your isn't your competition like, from the last movie. Like, that's where it feels like this movie's a, like an amalgamation of so many different things, because in this movie, Kylo Ren isn't really his competition. It's Allegiant General Pride. Yeah. So because there's a okay, this is where and this is the thing about being a Star Wars fan. Is that you have so much of that ancillary media in the back of your head? Is that like going back to like the aftermath trilogy? Was that it was General Hux's father, Brendel Hux, who was like day one on the Battle of Jakku, who was being rounded up, part of like Operation Cinder, and like to be to preserve the Empire. And it's like, oh, so Hux has been there since like day one. Like, he, like that's always been his army. We even get that like in the Last Jedi after he sees Snoke is dead. Oh it's yeah. Like, who, who are you to command my forces? This is my army. And Kylo Ren just kind of takes control because he's Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And then like out of nowhere, we get Allegiant General Pride, who makes again. You need a character that's in cahoots with the Emperor. Sure. But it comes out of nowhere. Because the big thing was in the ancillary media, and this is the part that drives me nuts about J.J. Abrams, is that, like, again, J.J. Abrams is a narcissist. We've made that loud and clear at this point. And I would imagine when him and Chris Terrio were writing this movie, and let's eat, for the sake of argument, let's just put aside the idea that Disney meddled. Let's just pretend that Disney's like, okay, guys, do what you want. We don't care. Was that in the ancillary media, Palpatine felt that the Empire needed to be destroyed because it failed in protecting him. And that's what Operation Cinder was. It was like the Empire okay. kind of like imploding in, in, upon, upon, in, up, at, in, up, in on upon itself. Interesting. And so a big question, I know Zenger and I talked about it, was it like, oh, maybe that's what the Sith fleet is in this. That like maybe at the final, like I thought this would be a really cool idea. It didn't happen. And I think it's a wasted opportunity. Was that wouldn't it be neat that in the final Star Wars film, Quote unquote, that we have the stormtroopers become the good guys. General Hux sees after like 30 years, he's created the first order. He has all these starships. They have control of the galaxy. They finally squashed the rebellion, the resistance. Mm-hmm. And then out of nowhere, Kylo Ren appears with the help of the Emperor, the Emperor with an even larger fleet with even more powerful weapons. Yeah. Hux would then go and become the traitor and be like, I don't like you guys, but I'm not letting anybody. Again, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So I am going to join. That's why I thought, even in the trailers, the whole idea of having the um, the the horses on the Star Destroyer fire with with the 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 Sith Armada would have been really cool. What if the res- considering that we have in the Last Jedi, nobody answers Leia's call. So I'm like, oh, what? again, another thing that Ryan Johnson set up that really kind of just. I don't want to say sat there, but it was kind of wasted in this. That, like, wouldn't it be great that if the army that defeats the emperor 
is a legion of stormtroopers. Ace, the oh. stormtroopers are the ones, and you have this great visual of the good guys with the stormtroopers fighting the emperor's forces. And you have, imagine you have this giant fight going on, and you have it require a little bit more of a color scheme. Maybe instead of having the new well, the old new storm star yeah, destroyers, yeah. you have them instead of having them have little red fringes. You have them all bright red, and you have them against the gray of the the, the first order storm uh, star destroyers, and you have them fight firing upon each other. Like imagine like a Revenge of the Sith opening battle where you have star destroyer versus star destroyer, mm-hmm. new red storm troopers versus white storm troopers. So it's very easily identifiable for the audience, and yep. that's that's the the again a great subversion. In a great moment in Star Wars, that after all these years, the stormtroopers are the good guys, and you bring it full circle to the prequels because the the clone troopers were the saviors in Attack of the Clones. They're the ones that save the Jedi. They save Anakin, Padme, Obi Wan, Mace Windu. You bring it full circle, and and that's what you do. You have the you have the good, much like Kylo Ren and Rey. You bring the good and the bad together for the yep. sake of the overall purpose of the galaxy. I can tell that's, you right now, I like that better. <laughs> than just Dom Hall Gleason being petty, hundred yeah. percent. But even that, it, like I get maybe making him petty, like in my version, and you often because you just have to because that's that's what he is. Like everybody gets mad at the at the last Jedi for the Yo Mama joke in the first oh, yeah. five minutes, but that scene is nowhere near as goofy as him chewing the scene in the force awakens before mm-hmm. they destroy all the planets. That's the most, I, I don't care how much you hate Jar Jar. I don't care how much you hate Canto bite. I don't care how much you hate the Ewoks. The goofiest moment in star Wars is general Hux chewing the scenery before they blow up all the planets in the force awakens. Now I know that they know that scene was goofy after the fact, because in star Wars resistance, they have that scene play out in, in a cartoon that sequence <laughs> is dialed down further. Oh, to how it's played in the live action. Oh yeah. Yeah. That if I, I haven't seen that in forever, but it was very big. Yes. <laughs> I, even to this day, like I'll play Star Wars Battlefront 2, and if I'm playing as the First Order and we win, I start to recite the thing he says. <laughs> like, all systems will bow to the order, to the glory of the First Order! Like, I start screaming that at the television. And it is, it's horribly, like, it's so out of place in that film. It's so out of place, and yet, it's, it, yet the fans just, I don't get it. Like, nobody thinks about these movies. One person on Reddit says it, one person on YouTube says it, and it's just yum 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 yum. I don't get it, but no, yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> but but going to your point with Dom Hall Gleason, I think he's wasted. I would have loved. Like, oh, yeah. Zenger and I, Zenger and I said it in the episode. It would have been great seeing him on the. Like, considering how like slick back his hair is and well pressed his uniform is, can you imagine if they brought him back to the jungle planet? And he's like, like, there's like bugs crawling on him. There's like all these reptiles. Like, wouldn't that <laughs> have been great? I just seeing him so far out of his element. Like we've never seen that in a Star Wars movie before. Yeah. We never, we've yeah. never seen the traitor come back to the good guys. We've seen it in the cartoons. We've seen it in the video games. We've seen it in the comics. But we've never seen it on the big screen. Wouldn't it have been neat? We finally got to see that. Nope. He just has to die immediately after he's revealed to be the spy. Yep. Just one because- and done. Because you know what that is? That's checklist filmmaking. Yep, you don't exactly. have any need for this character anymore. Check. Like, wouldn't it have been great instead of having Finn and Jana blow up the, uh, the uh, what's it? They they uh, hack the turret outside the thing. Mm. Wouldn't it have been great if we had Hux in there at the same time and they're both in cahoots? Been, wouldn't it be a fun dynamic seeing Finn, the ex, or like the, the turncoat stormtrooper that sets the events of this entire trilogy in motion, teaming up with the, like, 
the guy who's responsible for millions of death blowing up the first order from within, much like yeah, like would it would great? It would have made perfect sense because they could have been like, okay, we need you, you know, Hux, we need you because you know how to work this stuff. You can override something or, or you know, get it to destroy or blow up or shoot itself. It would have made perfect sense. Instead, they're just like, okay, BB-8 has done nothing the whole movie, so he's going to he's gonna stick his, his yep. little USB into something, and that's going to be it. Yep. Like, that's my, okay, this is my biggest thing with this movie, is, um again, for the longest time, Revenge of the Sith was my, lo- my favorite Star Wars film, but even... Like for years, like I would think about that film, and I think even Zenger and I mentioned it. Like in, we did some episode, like fixing the prequels or fixing Attack of the Clone. I'm sorry, uh, the Phantom Menace. Okay. And I, there's always things about I love Revenge of the Sith, very similarly to how I love this. But there's things that I would change about it. Like if I was in, in charge, like it's kind of like the armchair screenwriting. Yeah, there, I, I always found it weird that the Senate just believed the Jedi were evil. Like, like you have your you have your chancellor, and forget the fact that Monster Mash has powers. Let's let's, let's ignore that. Let's just take this at face value. Mm-hmm. I never understood that the Jedi out of nowhere, the Chancellor all of a sudden looks all wrinkly, and yet the Jedi are the bad guys. And the Chancellor, who's already now overextended his term, is essentially wiping out the police force. I I've never understood why the why the the Senate believe that. But how I in my quote unquote head canon imagine that that wouldn't it be great if we had a moment. Where we have like like Palpatine just being he he's he has every contingency for everything that could possibly happen. Wouldn't it be great if he deliberately let Obi Wan and Yoda into the temple to lure them into the Senate building, and we have a skirmish in the Senate where uh, Obi Wan and Yoda are back have their backs to a wall, and they're and they're fighting off killing clone troopers, and Palpatine there, and all of his just over the top monster mash glory be like, see. They're doing it again. Oh. It's like, see, like, sh- again, show, again, show, not tell. And yeah. I know I love Palpatine's moment, Revenge of the Sith, where he's like, I will reforge this democracy, or no, this galactic scent into an empire. And we get like the fanfare. Like, that's great. I love that too. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea that like you need to show a little bit more why everybody would just believe this. Yeah. Other than just, and, but guess what? The, but must like the rise of Skywalker. What the fans are doing are what they did at the time was. Oh, Palpatine was influencing everybody. He had control of all their minds. And it's like I guess I'm like sure you you can explain it that way, mm-hmm. but that's not compelling cinema. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that one. What this is that one line where he's like, "This attack by the Jedi has left me def- scarred and deformed." So believe me, you know. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like trust the guy that looks like Monster Mash. This face lie to you. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it comes out of nowhere. Um, but in the Rise of Skywalker is a very similar thing. I love the film. I like what I got. But if I was in control, which I wasn't, I would fundamentally do a lot of things differently. Even even kind of like playing within the confines of the movie. Like if you're gonna bring Leia back, like I love the sequence of Leia the Luke flashback where where they're where they're sparring. We get the like the split second of young Luke and Leia, and the fact that Leia's training ended because she felt the she had a premonition about the darkness that was coming. Mm-hmm. That's 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 classic Star Wars. That's that's Phantom Menace level stuff. The fact that I I sense something off in the distance. I just don't know what it is. Is it very after the fact? Like should we have had that maybe in the first film? Maybe, but at that point they anticipated Carrie Fisher living another twenty years. Exactly, and that's kind of the thing about this. I think the biggest mistake they ever made with these movies was allowing Harrison Ford to tell them which way the story would go in. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, 
He wanted Never. out so bad, right, that he was like, come on, let me in, let me out, that type of thing. That's what it was, and that's what it should have been. It's like, no, Harrison Ford, we'll write you a check with as many zeros as you like, but you're you're going to keep coming back as long as we're willing to write you the exorbitant checks. Mm-hmm. And that's what I should have told him. Ne- never let the talent decide the course of action. Definitely. And that's a problem. And that's what they, they did that with Force Awakens. And they did that very, very implicitly with The Rise of Skywalker. Yes, Carrie Fisher is gone. But at the same time, though, we shouldn't let, and even though I don't think she's, I don't think on a narrative level she's that jarring to this film, but on a visual level, I look at her and, like we've already said, she takes you out of the movie every single shot she's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that eye line is, is oh. so, I mean, I, I get, like, I think I've said before, you know, it's like I, I didn't really get into the, like, the art of filmmaking until, you know, Zach. Round, riled me up for cinemodities and thinking about it more analytic way. But once you once you know that you know so much of a scene is where people are looking, you can't not see it. It's yep. it's it is jarring. It, like you said, it takes you out of it. Mm-hmm. And, and the weird thing though is it makes you also again. Who knows? I don't want to point fingers at JJ, but it's like if he is that competent of a director and you know where her line of sight is, why not have? I would imagine most of her scenes they repurposed. They're either talking to Oscar Isaac or Harrison Ford. Well, it's sure. one or the other because that's that's who, mostly who she talks to in that movie. Yeah, it could be any. It could be anybody else. I don't know. But if you are, and they do that in one scene, like there's one scene where she's talking to Ray and, and it's really, it almost feels like a non sequitur from, from Carrie Fisher, but she's looking downward, which you clearly was talking to Maz Kanata because in the original mm. incarnation of the force awakens, Maz Kanata comes back to the base with them, which didn't happen in the film. Okay. And we see, and we see Leia saying something to Ray and while Ray, and when she's talking to Ray, Ray's like squatting down or like kneeling down. And it's like, Oh, on a visual level, this works. On a narrative level, it's still kind of iffy, and the line is a definite non sequitur in that scene, but it's like, hey, at least they tried. But there's other sequences yeah. too there, just like you said, like where she's talking to, um, like, uh, Gren Gunberg, and it's like, oh, God, why is this here? Why, why is this here? This is awful. It's oh, like, is when she's like, you need to be optimistic. And, and yeah. Greg Gunberg's like, this is the stupidest thing you could have ever said to me right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Essentially, yeah, and that's again, it's good. Just stuff like that, and I get it. Their their intentions were admirable. I do not forsake them for that. But at the same time, though, um, and they did. They they used what little day footage they had very sparingly. Yes. Um, I don't know. It's 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 a matter of it's that's their artistic decision. I'm not going to take dock them any points for that because they're entitled to that. Um, but I don't know. It's that's that's a that's a weird one. But so uh, anything yeah. else, Rob? That okay? You didn't like General Hux. What else stood out to you in this movie? So since I since I uh, pointed out the moment where I laughed in the theater and no one else did, um, there was one moment that I think everybody in the theater laughed, including me. And I was very surprised because it's it's something that seems so cookie cutter for Star Wars. But I I thought the timing of it was perfect. It's when C-3PO gets his memory. Well, he gets C-3PO turns into red-eyed 3CPO and then gets turned back into reset C-3PO. And when C-3PO, he's like in the chair of Babu Frick uh, chair and Babu Frick like turns him back on. He says, my name is C-3PO. What's your name? And the little creature goes, I am Babu Frick. And C-3PO like so exuberantly is like, oh, how nice to meet you. That was hilarious. And that struck a chord with my theater. Like everybody laughed at that. The timing was perfect. I, I wanted to bring that up also because 
Babu Frick is one of the ugliest things I've seen in a movie. Like, it makes me think of the worm dog from House 2 in our Fansgiving series on <laughs> Cinemodities. Like, it is ugly. I don't want to see that thing any more than I have to. But then I go online and people are like, oh, it's just as cute as Baby Yoda. And I'm like, objectively, no. <laughs> I, I, I know I'm a weirdo for this, but I, like, I would take Babu Frick any day over Baby Yoda. In terms of cuteness, I would not. In terms of character substance, yeah, Babu Frick can do more things for sure. So no, I, I well, I okay. But going back even to the Reddit leaks again, in the Reddit leaks they say Disney tried to take Babu oh, Frick out yeah. of the film, and JJ wouldn't let them. And guess what? It was how much? No, well, guess what? Guess how much Babu Frick merchandise there is? Oh, uh, I don't know. None? Practically zero. Okay, interesting. There's no, there's no plushies. There's, I think, one action. There's a C-3PO action figure that comes with a little, a little tiny Babu Frick, and that's it. That's it. Babu. Oh wow. Okay. It, which goes to show again, yeah. folks. That if you know how this company works, there's signs everywhere. Like think about there's so again the Baby Yoda stuff was kept under wrap. That's that's coming later down the line. That's that's coming. But think of Dio. There's so much Dio merchandise. They have little roll-around mm-hmm. characters. There's alarm clocks. There's action figures of him. He Dio is everywhere, even though he's kind of like a know-nothing character in the film. And yep. then you look and you look at Babu Frick. And Babu Frick has more of a role in the film, a pronounced role, than Dio, yet there is no Babu Frick merchandise. And guess and guess who go. makes the and guess who makes the merchandise decisions? Not JJ Abrams, mm-hmm. the studio. And there you go. Full circle. <laughs> Again, the, the, the leaks. No, okay, not the leaks. The rumors. There's a lot of truth in those rumors, folks, if you know how to read them. It's a lot of reading between the lines and deciphering things. But whoever wrote that, either they, they know something that we don't, or they are so profound in their understanding of Disney that they're able to pull a, a level of wool over our, our, uh, over our eyes that I didn't know was possible. It's one or the other. Yeah. It's one or the other. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right, though. I, I never would have known that about the merchandise or thought about it, but yeah, that's just more evidence for sure. So, uh, back to C-3PO, I have to say, like, considering how hokey humor can be in Star Wars films, like, even to this day, like, in The Force Awakens, where it's like, hello, I am C-3PO, Harrison Ford. You probably don't recognize me because of my red arm. And it's mm-hmm. like, shut up! Shut up! Like, you can't <laughs> yeah. help but yell that. Yet, every, like, comedic beat that 3PO has in this movie... It lands for the most part, whether it be like like when he's saying the thing about the festival and they all turn around, and look at him, then he slowly turns around, looks behind himself. Oh, that was that was beautiful because that's what a that's what a damn robot should do, Zach. It should not understand emotions from sight. It's perfect. That I that I liked as well. Sure, but even like you have him like when they fall through the sand and it's like pose like where's Ray? Where's Chewbacca? Where's Finn? And he's like, I'm fine too, sir. You didn't it's say like, my name, but I'm fine as well. <laughs> yeah. Things like that, yeah. And then even like when like Poe's telling him, like, move your metal ass, 3PO. Well, I'll never. We just met, you could, sir. And then the other line where it's like, oh, Babu Frick, he's one of my closest friends. Or he's yes. like, and, and that's what I mean. Like, 3PO, 3PO stuff lands. Like, all the comedy in this, it lands for them. Even some of the bickering between Ray and like Ray, Poe, and Finn. That lands like it's all believable. Like that's the sort of stuff that J.J. Abrams is good at. He's good at having actors mingle on screen. Yeah, letting them do their thing, letting them flesh out who they are, how they would interact. That's that's once again probably the purer form of movie magic. Not in the sense of you know making things look a certain way, but actual you know chemistry in movies. He can do that for sure. 
Yeah, and that's kind of like in my like in a different universe. J.J. Abrams would never become a filmmaker. He would have been a casting director, mm. and he would have and he would have been the greatest casting director of all time. Yeah, yeah, could be. That's the problem. That's the problem. He under he knows actors and chemistry better than anybody else. Yet he has no idea how to write compelling films. And I'd say he's a mediocre filmmaker. At best, uh, yeah, yeah, I would have to agree. <laughs> Still haven't seen Mission Impossible 3 except for the bug scene, but uh, I'd have to agree. <laughs> glorious. Nothing short of glorious. Uh, all right, Rob. So uh, any other scenes that stand out to you? Because a couple I just want to ask your opinion about. Okay. I think the last one I wanted to bring up was it's not really a scene, but more of a motif near the end of the movie. And it goes into um, the the Ray and Kylo Ren, or I guess the Raylo, as we I should call it, the kiss. Um, I had no issue with the kiss in and of itself. You know, it's our, our two main leads that come together. You have good and evil, you know, f- realizing that to fight against common enemy or whatever you want to call it. But I I kind of was blown away by the fact that, you know, what the, the of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, there's, there's very much, maybe more so in The Last Jedi, very much a conversation or, or storyline leading to, you know, who are Ray's parents? Like, who's Ray? Who is Ray related to? Because we know that Adam Driver is a Skywalker, um, or half Skywalker. I, I however you want to <laughs> consider that, you know. And and it's just kind of like in the first movie, all oh, your parents left you here, Ray. You're nobody. Second movie, he's like your parents were nobody. But then I, I kind of couldn't stop thinking about it. Like when they had their their moment and they kissed right before uh, Kylo Ren dies, is that it's like okay, three movies. We firmly established we're not related, so we can kiss now. Like, that's all <laughs> I could think about. And then it even went further, because at the very end, when everybody's celebrating, there's that scene between Lando and Janna, or Janna, where Billy D. Williams is like, what's, like, who's your family? And then she goes, I don't know. And he says, well, I guess we're going to have to find out. And to me, that was so sexually charged. He could have just been saying, oh, age ain't nothing but a number, baby, but I got to make sure I'm not taking a dip in my own gene pool. You feel me? Like, it was so <laughs> oh, weird. Jesus. Like, there was such a weird undertone <laughs> at the end of this movie being like, okay, understand we're, we're on firm ground. You know, we're no incest here. Okay, we're a wholesome <laughs> Disney film. I think like, it, it seems so, like, overt to a certain sense. Like, there was so much emphasis put on family for these characters that kiss, and it was just so strange to me. That's that's a weird. Okay, I, I didn't pick up that layer between Lando and Jana. That's that. I guess you know what, Rob, when I, that when I think of Billy D. Yours. Okay, when I think of Billy D. Williams, I think of you know a suave type of dude. I think of him Empire Strikes Back. What he's hitting on Leia and stuff like that, right? Oh yeah, yeah. That's what. So I, I that's kind of how I thought of him, you know. And then especially when you get the Donald Glover in Solo, he's he's a player too, you know. Even if it's with the the weird Millennium Falcon droid. <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing that happens folks that's a thing that happens in that movie um all right yeah the uh, i didn't okay so okay um, the bounce i'll answer your question with another question or to just respond to your point with another one what do you think of the palpatine had a child that comes out of nowhere and it goes nowhere almost immediately uh as a filthy, <laughs> as, as a filthy casual what do you think of that I think I was just kind of fine with it. Like, uh, to me, Star Wars has always been or felt so incestual. Like, everybody's related to everybody. Everybody, like, everybody, like, the whole universe rests on, you know, the, like, the Palpatines and the Skywalkers, like, their existence. Everybody else is just caught in the crossfire almost. I didn't have too much problem with it, but I think it's, 
uh, like I said, I didn't listen to your three hour. Right, I think you said it was three hour review oh, of yeah. Rise of Skywalker. Oh, yeah. But I would imagine it's just like I've been hearing all over the internet. So did Palpatine have sex with somebody? Damn straight he did. <laughs> and Damn straight course, Monster Mash did it. Of course you can't not think about that because I think, you know, any almost all, unless the, except the little kids, understand how babies are made. And so that has to come to mind. But uh, ever since watching the HBO series Watchmen, I think there is a little oh, more of an artificial insemination thing going on from Palpatine rather than an actual, like, you know, whining and dining scenario <laughs> oh my god that's great i i, I, I don't they must have had conversations like that like when they like whoever pitched that idea originally must have been like what kind of like like oh come on it's like no we're not going to actually have like that sort of thing for palpatine the other yeah. thing that it makes me think of is also like when you think about it it it's he's he's not a jedi but he has he's a sith he has force powers he can he could pull a jedi mind trick we don't we don't condone that. Mariska Hargitay does not condone that. Tune in season 22 of Law and Order SVU. They get Palpatine for using a Jedi mind trick to cause <laughs> sex. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of more what I think. I don't think there was like, you know, I, I don't know anywhere in, I don't know, canon or, or whatever it's called. The, the stuff that's not canon in Star Wars. Did he ever have like a female? Of, or, uh, what was that one from the Clone Wars? Asajj, whatever? Was she no, like she, no? Palpatine was there anybody all, who ever had no, like he had like a, no. a right hand woman instead no. of like a Vader? <sighs> there was one character I can see her, but I can't think of her name. She was always there with Masamita, the guy with the tusks. She was she was also in the the opera box in Revenge of the Sith. Oh, I don't okay. think I, I I think more of a confidant. I could never see any. I don't think it's ever intended to be a sexual thing. Sure. Um, but no, Palpatine getting a swerve on, that's, for the most <laughs> part, a, a wholly original idea of this film. Okay, okay. Yeah, I definitely found that interesting. Um, it, it's, you know, my mind certainly thought about it for a little. The Jedi mind trick, I think, makes the most sense in the context of Star Wars. Uh, for some reason, it always also made me think, once I thought of that, it made me think of the, uh, I don't know if Zach's ever seen this, but there's the scene from the Ricky Gervais movie, The Invention of Lying, where he says to Stephanie March, he's like, we have to have sex or the world's going to explode. And she's like, where's the nearest hotel? Because he's the only one that can lie. I would imagine Palpatine did something similar to that. Like he waves his hand and be like, this is the date you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. That, that, that just opens a whole can of worms. Like, I wonder, Absolutely. like, that's, that's the sort of thing I wonder about, like, just being a creator at Star Wars. It's the Lucas thing of like, oh, I'm going to make decisions that are going to piss the fans off <laughs> just because I can. Like this again, I think that's another layer of the rise of Skywalker that nobody's really looking at is that like, it's the idea of like having contempt for the fans. And I think as any star Wars fan, I think we, I get, maybe it's just me projecting as a whole. Uh, it's the idea that I think as star Wars fans, we always have contempt for each other. So I think every star Wars fan in some capacity, some might be more subconscious, more, some, thoughts might sure. be more at the surface but it's the idea like we all want to be the biggest star wars fan exactly. and what bigger way than being a star wars fan than to do something that only you will like and nobody else will do <laughs> and i think that's maybe the palpatine like thing with ray is like the idea of palpatine having sex is monster mash it's just that idea of like because they make a very big point of it not being mystical like they're not like oh i created you through the insert gobbledygook star wars dialogue here it's like nope i had a son and then he had you with his wife yeah. It's like that was that's surprisingly straightforward for these movies. Usually, it's yeah. much more convoluted. Um, yeah, I, I have I have a problem with that because I think it's that's dumb. 
Like I, like in all honesty, if you are good, like I understand again, like you said, everything has to connect to each other. But I would have rather had it been like, like again, something, something. Ray just was created much like you could have been something you could have made her related to Palpatine without it being so direct, like like a family lineage. You could have been Palpatine could have been like Ray. You're wondering who you are. I am. It's like, well, I was. People wonder how I was created, the most powerful Sith. I too was born out of nothing, and you make it like you too were born out of that same abyss. Sure, and you yeah. could you make it mystical because it's it's yeah. the thing that I'm always afraid of with Star Wars is that they back themselves into corners, and that's what things like. The moment you explain something, you inherently make it less interesting. It's Absolutely. like, how did, how did Han Solo get the Millennium Falcon? It doesn't matter. He won it in some super-duper uh, Star Wars thingy that happened. And then we see, oh, he won it in a car game that lasted three minutes at the end of his movie. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. And it's like, okay, that was neat. Well, like, all that, like, what, almost 40 years of mystery of how Han Solo got the Millennium Falcon? Nope, it's three minutes in a movie that Disney really didn't know what to do with. Yeah. yeah there you, you go. There you go. There's your explanations to one of the biggest, I don't want to say mysteries, but one of, this, the, one of those things that fans always wondered. Right just on. dump it. Just yeah. dump it. It's like, it's, like a, it's like a ton of bricks. Just dump it. doesn't matter. <laughs> it's easy. <laughs> as long as the check clears. How many, Rob, how many times did you swipe your credit card to help Ray defeat Palpatine? Oh, uh, uh, I didn't swipe my credit card at all. The person at the... Uh, cash register did i hope they only did it once <laughs> i haven't checked my statement since i saw it but i hope it was only once <laughs> you, you have the south park mickey mouse like under the counter swipe it again <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm sorry so your car was uh i had to do a couple times swish 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 yeah it's more like it huh <laughs> up and down all, up all and directions down. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, maximizing God. the number of swipes per minute <laughs> yes I, I guess I did have a question for you, which sure. I, I don't know if this is answered because like we've been saying, there's so much in this movie that's just out of left field. But is the Palpatine that we see in this movie the same Palpatine that existed in Return of the Jedi? Is, are, is, is it saying like he he got thrown down the, the energy shaft or the Death Star or whatever, and this is the same exact one? Is that the case or is this is it not is it a clone or is there still speculation about this? it's it's ambiguous he does have the line of dialogue early on he goes i've died before so it's okay like, it's, I rem- it's the, I- yeah i'm glad you reminded me of that but go on yeah that's that's one of those things where i'm glad they didn't feel that in. i know a lot of people are angry because they didn't get that explained to them that's perfect don't again he, he, he's an ancient evil sith wizard it, or, it doesn't matter doesn't well, matter so how he came back. This leads into the, I don't think Zach will have any idea what I'm talking about. Maybe, I don't know, Zenger were here, he might know it. The the giant arm that Palpatine is hooked up to is almost identical to the Animus from the Assassin's Creed video games. And the whole point of the Animus is that someone hooks into it, and then they can go into, like, previous ancestry and live out and play out those lives. So that's all I could think of was there's, there's just one master palpatine that's almost like unstuck in time connected to this machine and he's just able to kind of control earlier and later versions of himself and then that would answer the uh how did he have a kid he could have gone and like you know did his thing with someone in the past where before he was you know a senator even so i don't i don't know i i i'm assuming i'm correct i don't know what the animus is but no i I know what you mean i know okay okay and it's just like that's kind of that was my head canon at least that he's got an Assassin's Creed thing going on. I that's I think that's the fun of it though. It's the idea like there's so much mystery on Exegol. 
It's like, oh, like how did like I know a lot of people are mad about the Star Destroyers. They're like, oh, how they build the Star Destroyers. It's like it doesn't matter. It's like it doesn't matter whether they had like foundries cranking these things out for years or mm-hmm. whether they were conjured through magic. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. Like yeah. it, that, that's that's the sort of thing. It's it's just like that's the sort of part that like is part of the fans and like just buckle in. Like it, that sort of stuff doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it's just like you're along for the ride as long as the feet. Like it's kind of like. I think we've talked about it before on Cinematis. It might have come up on Knights of Vader. Is the idea like all I want to have a movie in this time? Not I mean every movie, but like an action adventure film, which is what this is at the end of the day. Is like I just want to feel like I was I was along for the ride, and I don't mean like in a mm-hmm. uh, like a Marvel film because no, because that's horrible. That's like being on a roller coaster for three hours where it's just like you you want you're nauseous and you want to throw up. <laughs> yes. I just like like I want this to be like the equivalent of like being on the haunted mansion. Or the Jungle Cruise, where you're just you're along with the ride with the characters. Like, okay, we're we're gonna go on an adventure, and you're part of the team. Yeah, and that's why I want. You feel that sense of escape. You feel like you're just in this movie with the characters, and you forget about your troubles, and you got a good way to spend your two hours. Absolutely. I think yeah, you framed it. You phrased it well. I like that. It's kind of like being again, like all film is an illusion. That's what it's, it's the illusion of cinema. And it's and again, it's like you're supposed to just melt into the screen, and you're along with you're along for the ride with the, the characters mm-hmm. um, okay. and, and being along for the ride does not mean again, Avengers Endgame, where it's just explosions for three hours. It's the idea that, like an adventure is sitting there watching them in a star destroyer, watching Kylo Ren and Ray argue in the hangar of a star destroyer. Yep. Like there's, there's more to, to these movies. And I think that's the one thing the last year that I really nailed than just spectacle. I think it is some of that interaction because I could have watched a movie of, of Palpatine and Ray talking to each other. I could have watched an entire movie of Kylo Ren and Palpatine talking to each other. Like, I think when these characters are allowed to kind of breathe, that's when you get your compelling moments. Those are going to be the moments that we talk about, like Kylo Ren and Ray in The Last Jedi. And we have that we have the uh, sex scene where they touch their hands that uh, having the two of them talk to each other about her being so alone. He's not the only one. That's the sort of stuff that's going to make that film resonate. The Force Awakens doesn't have that. Nobody's going to remember the moment in The Force Awakens where Rey says, like, get ready, and they're flying through a Star Destroyer. No one's going to remember that moment. That's just another disposable yeah. moment in Star Wars history. Even and That's the problem. Force Awakens doesn't have those moments. And even The Rise of Skywalker has a couple more of those moments, but they are kind of few and far between compared to what it should be. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's kind of the problem, with, and that's just the way movies are made nowadays. Mm-hmm. Movies aren't made for characters to have moments together. They're made for spectacles, so idiots go on Twitter and say, and, and just Instagram and go, LOL, best movie ever, five out of five stars. Yep. Yeah, it's a bummer. Yeah. M- movies are awful. We should say that. Movies are awful. <laughs> as, as, I think as, as, we said it a good bit on Cinemodities before. We, what do we say? Uh, movies are awful and people are stupid. <laughs> yes. Movies. Like, what was the thing you said once? You're like, let me explain to you. Like, you need to watch this movie so I know how stupid you are. Isn't that like? Isn't that like? Oh, oh, what was that? Yeah, there was something where it was like I wanted to show this to people, and then they say, "Man, that movie made me feel stupid." And it's like, did it make you feel stupid, or did it make you realize you're stupid? (laughs) (laughs) What was that? That was too long ago. Either, yeah, (laughs) I forget. Yeah, it's it's one of those. We we need more of that. We need we need litmus test in cinema. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. I guess I guess other than that though, with the movie, I. 
The Rise of Skywalker is fascinating because I do think I know I, this is something we're going to be discussing because we're going to have Chris uh, Chris Porteous on the seventh or eighth best Canadian collector, um, <laughs> and he kind of asked the question, being like, "Zach, how how do you think this film's going to hold up? Like, do you think this is move? Like, he kind of wants to steal what his thunder because he had a really good point." But it's kind of the idea of like, how is this film like? What's the resonance of this film going to be? How is it going to last? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. It depends. I considering if this is going to be the last Star Wars movie for the foreseeable future. I do think a lot of people will revisit it the same way, like Revenge of the Sith. Eventually, kind of was the, uh, the, the gateway to people realizing how good the prequels were. I think eventually people will like rewatch the Rise of Skywalker because it does have that final chapter sort of flair, and they'll be like, oh. I'm going to go back and watch everything else. And they'll be like, oh, The Force Awakens. I remember that. It's not really as good as I remember because it's, it's, a, it's an imitation. It's not a Star Wars movie. It's an imitation of a Star Wars movie. And oh. then they're going to go back and look at The Last Jedi and be like, oh, yeah, this really gave, brought substance to Star Wars. And it's not as bad because it's not as – like every single day we get further and further away from the release of The Last Jedi. The, the hyperbole surrounding it dies. Yes. And people will eventually just realize, oh – this isn't half bad. This is actually some pretty compelling cinema for a Star Wars movie. And we'll get to that. And I think the same thing is going to happen with all the Star Wars movies. I, it depends. If Disney continues to dilute it with, with crap that doesn't matter. Um, and I do include something like, even though I love Solo, I do include that in there. Because Solo doesn't matter. Um, the Mandalorian doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the side War- stories, yeah. Yeah, not, I, I don't mean to call it crap. I, I, that's not fair. But I mean the stuff that's just there to sell to sell toys, to sell merchandise. And that's what The Mandalorian is at the end of the day. It's an amalgamation of everything that's popular about Star Wars. It's not Boba Fett. It's Baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. It's Stormtroopers. It's, it's, it's stuff that people recognize that they can, they can consume in small doses. It doesn't require a large investment of their time. Exactly. And that's the sort the of stuff serialism. That that's what people want. They want to be able to just put it on, get it done quick, in Move one on ear, out the other. Thing. Almost exactly. Yep. It's like a headline I was reading. Something like, "Oh, the man, uh, Netflix is The Witcher outperforms The Mandalorian in some weird metric, which I still don't understand." I, considering <laughs> that, considering that all streaming data is internal, like we don't know yeah. any of the data for Netflix, Disney Plus, uh, any of these other streaming services. I have no idea what metric we're using to to, to, to gauge any of this by. It's it's all mm-hmm. gobbledygook. It's, it's, it makes as much sense as Palpatine coming back to life. It's just people making it up as they go along. And I can do that too. I can say uh, the Mandalorian scored three Schmarlars versus the Witcher's two Schmarlars this week. <laughs> Therefore, the Mandalorian is more popular. And guess what? It has as much weight as anybody else's data does. Like, that's the part. That's yeah. the part that drives me nuts. Um, it's, it's all these people just pulling nonsense out of thin air and just saying that's factual. Um, but speaking of pulling nonsense out of thin air and making it factual, um, there's oh, one. I, I just have to say, you, whatever whatever metric you just used was great because it made me think of Mr. Steely from Rick and Morty when he's going over his loot. Oh, I got a a, a plumbus that's worth eight brapples. <laughs> it is. That's it's what, just nonsense. How do you compare it, these things when you don't have the data? Exactly. Exactly. And you, yeah, folks, everything's a mess. Society's a mess. It's all downhill from here. Um, <laughs> that's 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 the moral of the story here. Everything's a mess. Um, no, but the final thing I want to bring up, and this is, and this is, I kind of, I'm kind of shoehorning this in at the end, but it kind of, I, it segued pretty nicely was, um, this is show you that when you think of getting proper information from sources, you can't really trust it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I was on box office mojo and I still am. 
And I, when I was doing my research and trying to gauge um, how the Rise of Skywalker is going to do in the U.S., I, I noticed that when they ha- for budgets, they have nothing listed for the Rise of Skywalker, but they have the budgets for uh, all the other Disney-era films. Solo, Rogue One, uh, Force Awakens, Last sure. Jedi. And um, for Rogue One, it's listed as $200 million, which okay. sounds about right. That probably doesn't include the reshoots, but mm. close enough. Um, uh, Force Awakens is around 245. And I always heard that film was was north of 225. So that's that's a believable number. Um, right. Solo's budget is 275, which I've always heard 300, but again, close enough. And then I get to the Last Jedi's number, and it's listed as a production budget of 317 million dollars. Jeez. And I'm like, where on earth did they get that number from? Yeah. Considering that the film came in under like, on time and it didn't require copious reshoots mm-hmm. like every other film did, how did it end up costing over fifty million, almost fifty million dollars more than Solo, where they reshot the entire film? Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, where did they get this number from? So of course, Box Office Mojo doesn't cite any data. So I go online and I go to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia has a range for the box office. So I'll give them, I'll give them credit for that. The, the range that Wikipedia has is quite the range, 200 to $317 million. Oh, my God. Okay. But at least the sources are there. So I go, okay, where yeah. are they getting the 317 number from? So I click on that. And it brings me to a, a L.A. Oh, come on. How much do I have to scroll through this? Um, from, to a Film L.A. Incorporated feature film study. Study. Okay. I'm like, what? What the hell is? What the hell is Film LA Incorporated? So I go look up their website, and they're the ones that have it listed as 317 million dollars. And when you and when you zoom in in their little portfolio or the little documentation they have here for how much the film cost, I you zoom in and hey, they have they have a couple little like uh, categories for everything's in, and you look and it says estimated budget. That's all it says. Okay. Estimated budget and no explanation as to where they got mm-hmm. that from. No, in this yeah. entire report, it just says budget estimated in millions. And you go, oh, so they just made it up. Sure. And you look, I figured, okay, let's see what 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 credentials does Film LA have? So I went to their website and I looked at their about us, and this is their about us. It's literally one sentence long. Oh God. Film LA is a 501 not-for-profit public benefit organization. In the official film office for the city and county of Los Angeles. That's it. That's it. And so, box. <laughs> so, so, you look at, so you have Box Office Mojo, which is considered the not just for people like you and I, amateurs, but for the industry is considered the standard, and they are supplying a number based on Film LA, who's just a non-for-profit organization. Right. Not Disney. Not from their, not from their uh, 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 shareholders report or any sort of their numbers from SEC filings. Yep, it's just a third party shooting in the dark, yeah. and that's the number. Fantastic! That's that's that, from the survey episode. That we know that's of course what makes good data. Just pulling things out of nowhere. Yep. So I just want people, and this is the last note I want to end on before we conclude this episode, is that just because something comes from a quote unquote official source does not mean it's true. And just because something comes from a very, oh God, murky source doesn't mean it's false.
And yeah. it's up to you to read as much as humanly possible to discern what you think is true and what's not. In the mm-hmm. sense of when it comes when it comes to things that are not night and day, you have to just again, you have to figure it out for yourself. Yep, Aldous Huxley got it right in Brave New World. We are so inundated with information that we're either apathetic or we will fight to death for the first thing we hear, but we got to break out of that. We got to take all these sources, we got to figure out what's right, what we think is right. And hey, once you have an opinion, don't feel bad if you get new information and your opinion changes. That's the way the the brain actually works, shockingly enough. That's how intelligence forms and grows and knowledge. What who was it was it Emerson or was it Thoreau, the uh a uh, foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of small minds? I think is it Emerson? That was, I think that was Emerson, yeah. All right, I know the quote, go. yeah, yeah. Yep, you're absolutely right. How about your minds? You're talking philosophy on a third-rate Star Wars podcast, <laughs> folks. <laughs> Definitely. All right, Rob, because this is technically a Cinemati's discussion. We're going ah, to skip yes. We're going to skip the restaurant part. because. Oh, that's, yes. That's, for, that's for, all the, for all the diehard <laughs> Cinemati's listeners, Star Wars Episode Nine does not get a spot in the spreadsheet. It does not impact the restaurant. I don't even know if I want to even talk about late night, but cinemodity, absolutely, we have to discuss. Sure. Yeah, late night movie, yeah, it's, that's up in the air. Because um, one thing I just I want, I kind of want to explain to our audience real quick, you're probably wondering if you if you have even listened to cinemodities, how we break down cinemodity versus late night movie status. Cinemodity is whether something is a cinematic oddity. Obviously, Rob and I debate what that means depending on what the movie is. <laughs> Late night movie is more of a recommendation as to whether you should watch it. And I think I, we've talked about this beforehand that I did a double feature when I watched the rise of Skywalker yesterday. I saw, oh, that's right. I, I saw, forgot. <laughs> yes. I saw cats first. Uh, everyone's favorite film of 2019. He did it. I, he did it folks. <laughs> I did it. I watched cats all the two hours of it. Lord help me. And then I watched the rise of Skywalker. But even though Cats was horrible and it was boring, the worst combination of anything in life, horrible and boring, I kind of it gave me an epiphany about cinemodies. A cinemody is a label, and a late night movie is a recommendation. Yep. And that's kind of how we've like, broken it down. That like if something has that cinemody status, that means is it is it a cinematic oddity for whatever reason? And late night movie means should you watch it? Yes. And that's and that's kind of how we look at movies on cinematics and how we're kind of going to interpret the Rise of Skywalker right now. I, I think framing it that way, especially in this episode, makes perfect sense because what what would the point be of discussing late night when everybody in the Knights of Vader fandom would have definitely yeah. seen this movie? So perfect. Yep. So Rob, oh, oh, and something uh, that needs no explanation. Yes, Zach and I do run a restaurant together. Uh, it's where Mars Twenty One Twelve used to be in New York City, Times Square. 42nd Street, and uh, it's an infinite void. That's all you need, but we're not going to discuss that any further. <laughs> so much weird stuff goes on, folks. So much weird stuff. Um, all right, Rob. Cinemati status for The Rise of Skywalker. I'm going to go yes. I think uh, that's exactly how I was thinking about this movie when I went into it, when I saw it in theaters. Um, I think it hit the nail on the head, I, especially with the analogy, like I said, the car with square wheels. I've seen some other movies that I would certainly uh, describe that way now, but this movie really was the one that made me think of that analogy and fit it in. The 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 seeming meddling from the studio, all those tentacles in it, the the death of Carrie Fisher, probably greatly changing what this movie could have been like and would have been like if she had not passed away. Um, so suddenly and early, uh, it, it just hits all the nail on the head. This is a cinematic oddity. Uh, also because of where it lies in this franchise, the end of the saga, as they call it. For this to be that, 
I didn't expect it in any way, shape, or form, and I think it checks off all the boxes. So I'm going yes. Of course, Cinemati, yes as well. But for all, of course, for all the aforementioned reasons, but for one specific reason. Okay. And it's a reason that a lot of people haven't talked about a lot in the last few weeks. Mm. Colin Madman Trevorrow touched this <laughs> film, and he does, get, and he, him, and Derek Connolly do get a writing credit. So, oh yeah, the Madman is here, folks. He's here. <laughs> if you think this movie's weird and bizarre, can you only imagine the film we could have gotten well, from him? Maybe, maybe yeah. that's how Palpatine had a child. Hand touching. We never there thought about go. that, right? He did there a little, little hand touching. Yep, yep. Hand, Colin, Colin Madman Javaro got his idea in somewhere. He claims hands. that he claims Palpatine wasn't in his version. That was that was not even discussed mm-hmm. when he was working on the film. That's he claims that, but he's also he's also disgruntled. So I do not trust him. <laughs> I don't trust him for a lot of reasons. That's just disgruntled the most... is putting it lightly. <laughs> I don't, have I ever told the story on the podcast that the reason why he has the name Colin Madman Trevaro is that once on Twitter he was tweeting something about how the Book of Henry was a perfect correlation between it and the original Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. And and I wrote to him on Twitter and I said, you are a madman. And he liked the tweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I have that screenshot. I think he sent me the screenshot. And I saved it. <laughs> it's, you know, the settings that's gone now when Knights of Vader Twitter account got banned, oh, that's right. but, but I do have the screenshots though. And that nice. will always be one of my proudest moments with the calling Colin madman Trevorrow a madman. And he liked it. He's the mad. He's the madman. Yeah, yeah. If he's you insane. haven't seen a uh, book of Henry, just know that it starts with a what thirteen-year-old buying and selling stocks on a payphone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, folks, we'll get okay. Considering that we are like in the next coming weeks, if we are on the verge or the precipice of the Star Wars drought, there is a possibility that come I would do May that 4th, every year. I would do book of Henry every year, just like the holiday special. There's so much to say about that movie. Book of Hank, I'm sorry. Book of Hank. The book of Hank. Yeah, there's a very real possibility. I I think Rob knows it, but the audience needs to be prepared that if we don't get anything like major with Star Wars, like after, because again, we get the the Clone Wars season eight come February, the Blu ray comes out at the end of March. But like, if we don't get anything like major, there's not like Star Wars celebration is until like August this year. It's like, if we don't get anything during April, we're going to start getting into some weird crap. Like, right, yeah. Rob knows this. There's a lot of weird stuff that involves David Lynch. There's some Anne Inspiriority complex covers of songs that are ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as somebody posted in the Facebook group, a, 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 a freeze frame of a very specific <laughs> moment in a movie that would be best not to share anymore in the Knights of Vader Facebook <laughs> group because Zach does not like seeing that. Zach likes keeping things separate. We do not, like, it's bad enough that like, maybe there needs to be a Cinemati's Facebook group that's just Rob and I yelling at each other. Um, I feel like if we started that, like that, if we started that now, we would have a bunch of people like join the Facebook group and then start to complain. Like, why do I have to go to two pages now? <laughs> I had you, I had you all in one place. Like, why are you making this harder for me? <laughs> because one person had to post a screenshot from a very specific film. That is the reason why. <laughs> oh God. It's, yeah. It's, uh, well, I'm I'm glad you bring up the Star Wars drought because I already mentioned. Um, you know, I would I could definitely give some thoughts on Mandalorian, but as Zach, I have not told Zach yet. I was saving it for this. I think uh, there would be another great music discussion episode about the music in The Mandalorian. That was probably my favorite part of it. What Lud- Ludwig Göransson did with the original John Williams music and incorporated it into the score for The Mandalorian was very, very interesting. I could probably get a good hour and a half out of that. Spoiler alert, folks. I did not like the music in The Mandalorian. 
Yeah, you didn't want the scores. That's very upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, we'll get to that. But like every thing that drives me nuts in the Mandalorian is like every time uh, not Boba Fett does something, we get that stupid little whistle sting. Like he does anything here. Oh right? yeah, that here. was yeah, that was great. It's like yep. It's like every ten seconds we get that. It's like he's not doing anything. He's just standing there. He's not doing anything badass. Like if like if he shot a bunch of people, it would make sense. But like he's just standing there here. I think at one point in the end of the the show, at the end of the season, he's just like standing up like a like a, a lava boat. It's like <laughs> it's like it's like what? Nothing's happening. But yeah, he didn't do anything. But yeah, the yeah Mandalorians. Time goes on. I'm having more and more problems with that show. Um, but uh, yeah, so Cinemodities, it's fun. Go listen to the podcast. It's neat. Rob and I talk about a lot of weird crap. As mentioned earlier, Zach and I were supposed to see this movie together. When we were going to see it together, when that plan was still on, we were also going to see it with my father. My <laughs> father has since seen the movie, and oh. Zach, he loved it. Of course he did. Oh, oh yeah, and my, I think my dad only goes to see big spectacle movies and loves them. <laughs> oh, of course. Oh, of course. So I had to get that in there, that it gets a, a, a approval from another McAndrew. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, I just want to point out, too, is that I've kind of realized, considering this is Chris Terrio's, what, third blockbuster in a row that's been meddled by the studio, is that guy just a magnet for, like, letting people ruin movies? Like, whether it be Batman v Superman, Justice League this. Like, is that guy just, like, a license for the studio to be, like, uh, like just, like, rubbing their hands together, being like, aha, we got it now. You think he's like like a, a lifeless puppet that the studio just inhabits at a certain point? I don't even know that because it seems like every like major film that he gets involved with, he's other than maybe Argo, he's like he's just a magnet. Because I think about Batman yeah. v Superman got meddled. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Like where there's just, like a three hour cut of that Justice League. Nobody needs to hear that story again. Yeah. And, uh, and then this, like, if you're like, like yeah, why would point. you ever? I guess the studios would hire him because he's such a mess. But like, if you're a director and he comes on board, you're like crap. Crap! How do I get out of this? <laughs> it's like a walking Alan Smithy. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> oh dear. All right. So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Cinemodities podcast. Check out the Facebook group. Type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and chances are you'll find it. Find us on Instagram at KOV Podcast. Shoot us an email, KOV Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Anne Spiriority Complex for providing our theme song. <laughs> Check out the show notes to hear more from them. Knights of Vader t-shirts. Knights of Vader t-shirts are now $22 a piece, but you can still rep your favorite podcast on a t-shirt for something I think is a fair price, considering that it's a pretty cool, unique design, and you support your favorite podcast in the process. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Cinemodies. You can also hear me on the Cinemodies podcast, where we'll be discussing Chocolate Horizon. A.K.A. Butterscotch Vista. A.K.A. I'm trying to do this from memory, and it's a bad idea. Uh, Mint Firmament? No, I wouldn't have put Mint twice. Lemon Firmament. A.K.A. Mint Empyrean, A.K.A. Toffee Panorama, A.K.A. Vanilla Sky. I think that's it. <laughs> I might <laughs> have left one out. <laughs> it's not close enough. But yes, if you, if you want to hear Cameron Diaz says po- say possibly the greatest line of dialogue in cinematic history <laughs> repeatedly at nauseum in that episode, check it out, folks. It'll mean something. It'll mean something. He has to do it at least four times. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Maybe that's what Palpatine told his 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 uh, lover. 
Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was four oh. times. <laughs> oh, God. My thoughts are racing again with things like things that you will never, get leaped out of this discussion. <laughs> things you never thought were possible prior to exactly. seeing the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I'm getting chills. It's cringy. <laughs> All right, Rob, considering this is a uh, Cinemonies episode, how do you think we should end out this episode? Mm. Any well, ideas I would, or should you surprise the audience? Uh, I, I would say if they're... I'm, I'm not as familiar with the soundtrack for uh, this movie. Um, so if there's one that you really dig, uh, or maybe one that you like or stood out to you, or one... I think we talked about one earlier, like Going Home or Welcome Home or whatever it was called. We could play one of those in reverse, maybe? Sure. Are people going to be uh, bothered by reverse music at the end? No. That's just, <laughs> if they've suffered through two hours and 46 minutes, they've, they'll suffer through a couple Fair. seconds more. There. <laughs> Alrighty, folks. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, remember we, all uh, the yeah. and down with the Empire. Down with the Empire. Down with the First Order. Down with all the bad people. <laughs>